Okay, thank Hello? Are you there? I am here. Are you there? I, I hear you. I hear you, but I don't see you. Oh, uh, we just do audio. I, I don't have the money to comb my hair. So. Well, shit. <laughs> video editing is much harder. If you turn your video off, sometimes the audio quality is slightly better, too, depending on the processors that we use. So, so far, we're keeping it really low budget and right. simple. Well, shit, I didn't even have to get dressed up. You didn't even have to get dressed up. That's You're already right. making me feel at ease, Rick. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> so what's up, my man? I mean, I see I see some of these, most of these things you do and this and that are, are from mm -hmm. your pastor shows. And of course, mm -hmm. I've never been a part of that. So what do we have to chat about? Oh, my God. First off, let me tell you, I'm nervous. And so I'm just going to address that and ask you, to, as I know you will, to forgive me for my um, bumbling around here and maybe even my audience to forgive me for what I already know may occur. Anytime I have respect for people coming on the show so far, I am, I have a hard time operating and Rick, I got a lot of respect for you. Well, you know, I, I'm not sure why I would make you nervous. I didn't know I made anybody nervous. Well, it's when I open my the things that I truly find admire in my world. Right. So my perspective, when I open that up to my viewing audience, it seems to change things for me. I can hang out with you anytime at the show. I can talk to you one on one. Man, you're an awesome person. Like I said, you're already bringing me back to ease. But, um, you know, there's a there's. There's something about exposing parts of myself to my audience that, you know, make me feel vulnerable. So I apologize if that comes up in any way that I may step over your the weirdest thing. When I respect people, sometimes I talk like this too long and over people. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I don't listen properly to answers because I'm just so excited that I got the question out without flubbing it up. There you go. Well, it's all good by me, you know. Well, let's just have some fun, man. I'm with it. I I have you come from an era of tattooing that is before my time, and you uh, associated met and were around some of the greatest names in the industry that are slowly being forgotten. You write about that, and that's a shame. I feel like it. And and that's where you're also validating this show that, like you said, most of this is all just this reality drama that almost don't even belong in tattooing. You know, there there might be the drama of getting your ass kicked by your boss for fucking up a tattoo or getting fired. Or there might be the drama between you and your client. You try and work out details of a tattoo and they just drive you to doing something that drives that makes you insane. But tattooing against each other ain't necessarily the largest well, that's my opinion, actually. Was there a lot well, of competition growing up in the tattoo world in your era? Not uh, not anything like uh, what's going on today. When okay. I first opened up, uh, when I first opened up, well, for a starter, for me to get in this business mm -hmm. was not going to eBay and ordering Chinese junk off <laughs> the Internet. I mean, you had to 
you know, kind of know somebody that could put you into the direction of obtaining good stuff. And, and, you know, back in those days, uh, you know, you just didn't, I didn't anyway, just want to pick up stuff, go screw up all my friends and get my ass kicked. You know, <laughs> I, I wanted to have a, a feeling of what I was doing. <laughs> that led you, know, you to building machines right away. Well, that was just part of the deal. I mean, if you couldn't, you know, like build and maintain your own machines and, and know how to make them do what you wanted them to do according to, you know, the style of work that you did and this and that, then, then you weren't putting on a, a good tattoo. You were tearing up skin. You were doing a lot of things, you know? Mm -hmm. I remember because uh, when I first started, we had coils, but it was a lot easier for me, um, despite it not being easy. But it was easier to eventually find someone that would sell you one or a magazine that you could get a kit from. Right. But let's let's define the era you're coming up in, if you don't mind. Rick, what, what times were you tattooing and how old were you when you started? I started yeah, I, I started in uh, I was 18 years old. I nice. started hanging out uh, with Johnny Walker in 1970, Chinatown, Washington, D.C. All right. Now, he big had breath for a second. Johnny yeah. Walker. Yes. For, for many listening, and this is almost, it, it's a problem and it's just, it's accepted. So nobody's yelling at you about it. <laughs> but with the ease of getting technology today, like these, like these easy machines that run great right out of a box, mm -hmm. um, that they, they have little cartridge setups and stuff that make your life so fucking easy with that convenience, there is a, a loss of the story to even getting that to you and the the many things the industry and the people that were in the industry at one time had to deal with to to get a decent running machine or keep one and johnny walker is like that's the coolest machine frame ever am i wrong but no because and a lot of people don't know that now but Johnny Walker was actually the one that gave the Supreme to Huck Spaulding. And, okay. you know, that's out of his mouth to my ears, you know, I and, feel and, like we called that, um, Supreme, the Walker frame. Well, a lot of, a lot of people do a lot. Of, and a and lot the of nicest of the Spaulding machines too. See, see, I'm doing, it. I'm cutting you off. Let me stop. There you go. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> All right, because I, I will ramble if loud. Oh, really? <laughs> so maybe this 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 little dance that we do will be good. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll keep this thing moving along with my social faux pas and your ramblings. Right but on, right on. Take me back to the days that you are 18 years old. When you're meeting people like Johnny Walker, do you uh, know that they are kind of a legend? Um, or are they just like a guy that, that people that you're associated and also you look up to no it's just like a guy kind of well it was you know it, it was way way so different back in those days and and uh, you know in washington dc at that time uh before johnny got there there was only uh carol nightingale uh, who actually had came to dc and started i'm not sure what year and he had come with uh paul rogers and huck spaulding now, all of this as a kid, I wasn't that familiar with, you know. All mm -hmm. I knew was, hey, there's a dude that does tattoos, you know. 
<laughs> yeah. And there was a guy named Not that it was Carl. the the people that would start the um first tattoo machines that most tattoo artists in my generation that were coming up around the same time around the 90s and I'm betting the 80s and even for some years after that Huck Spaulding Spaulding and Rogers was your number one go to if it were for tattoo um supplies. Oh, and, absolutely. And and so like you're meeting these guys kind of ground level yeah more or less i mean at that particular time i hadn't met uh you know huck or, or paul at that time you know i was just uh i actually got my first tattoo when uh, i was 14 years old uh by carol nightingale you know oh, so, what'd you get a little hot shit devil cost me seven dollars back in 1960 <laughs> i don't know like 66 something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Was this the, the same kind of devil that Lyle eventually uh, railed against? Um, that was a fad of some sorts at the time. Oh, it was. Yeah, everybody <laughs> and everybody had their favorite one. Uh, Joe uh, Joe Ferrara, he had his favorite one. You know, he had the hot shit devil riding on the back of the uh, Black Panther, and, and okay. his twist. His twist to that, he always put it on backwards. He did it intentionally. For what? He faced the back of the person then? Yeah, faced the back of their arm or, or just mm-hmm. whatever way was backwards to, you know, where they were getting it. He put it on backwards. And why? And what was his uh, allowance, I guess? First off, yeah. artistic license. I guess you're allowed to do whatever. But was he yeah, watching no, these no. people's back or what? I don't know. I, it must have just made him chuckle. You know, no, no reason that I knew of. And I knew Joe pretty well. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, no reason I knew of. That's just, just the that's way, the way Joe would do it. He's like, you want that's- this fad right here? This is my favorite one. Oh, I like that you're getting the favorite one. Let's put it on there the right way. Why's it going towards my forearm? Like, I don't see his head. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, but, you know, back at 18, I didn't realize and, and uh, you know, the people I was associating with at that particular time, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, Johnny Walker never had an apprentice and I wasn't an apprentice. I started off with him as a bouncer and, uh, for his, for his shop. Yeah. His, his shop was when he first came to DC was no bigger than, uh, sailor Jerry's shop, tiny place, very, very small. And uh, it, it got, uh, you know, it could get rowdy. I mean, we didn't, he didn't open up till five or six o'clock at night. We'd go, you know, three or four or five o'clock in the morning and, you know, a lot of drunks, a lot of this and that. So mm-hmm. he you sees know, a I young still- strapping kid that knows how to handle himself. And he says, Hey, watch my lobby. <laughs> well, it, it so happened, you know, I, of course I was bugging him all along and, and, you know, he made it mm-hmm. clear he wasn't apprentice me and this and that. And, we parked out one night and we're walking down the street and he said, man, he said, you know, I got robbed last night. I said, well, shit. I said, I told you, I said, you need to have me over here, you know, all the time. Mm. We went on in the studio and started getting things together, you know, put a clean bucket of water under the table and got some fresh rags out and, you know, made a couple needles. And he says, uh, he said, by the way, he said, uh, you know, anybody you can get a, pick up a, a pistol for me to keep here in the shop. 
Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, okay. So I reached in my back pocket, laid a 38 up on the counter. I said, on the counter. And I said, well, you know, here you go. I said, keep this here. After that, I was kind of allowed into the back. I was kind of allowed to watch him make needles. And uh, sometimes if he was busy, I would call people like either Huck or Ernie Caffera, some of these guys, and order stuff for him. And You could that- watch him make needles, you even said. Yeah. Sounds like about as much fun as paint drying nowadays. Well, it is when you're trying to know this stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. There's no YouTube to show you how. That's exactly right, you know. So I'm. I fumbled I'm so- in some kind of dark in the trailer park for for uh, just what I call like my dark ages of right. trying to figure out how to keep things clean without getting myself a disease. But right. still end up tattooing um, and, and finding people that would allow someone as dumb as myself to tattoo them. So there was a lot of needle making faux pas in my living room, a lot of sterilization mistakes that uh, that that cost people, you know, di- dining wear and, and uh, not autoclaves, but those pressure cookers. Pressure cookers. That's right. They still sell those things. Well, back. I, so I, not that I would ever have um, a real understanding of what you're saying, but I still understand the art of making needles and a good needle made the difference between a machine, a good tattoo or not um, going well. And so there's so much to learn there. I kind of feel I understand what the excitement could be of watching somebody make needles. Well, and, and just what you said, the art of having that machine and needle do what you do was the art of making the needle whether you mm-hmm. spread the needles how you gap them and and everything else the the setback on mag needles how much you set back to second row and and everything else there was well, were you guys trick. making mags then oh yeah mags back then even yeah yeah then the 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 flat when i came into tattooing mags weren't even that popularized they were i wasn't popular. aware of them i was i was using six flats that's right six and seven flats but you guys were using mags way back then way back then so i'm kind of just an idiot for not knowing that this technology existed how was well, it not I, being shared with the the supply companies well because a lot of stuff back in those days wasn't shared uh mm-hmm. you know <laughs> Yeah. Everybody had their little techniques and tricks and this and that. And, uh, you know, if you were getting a really, really cool effect by something that you had played with and learned, you weren't really, you know, volunteering a lot of that information. Because it was so hard fought to get. That's right. You see a difference with uh, the tattooing today in that same regard? Uh, it seems like there- sometimes people are just waiting to tell you their secrets. Uh, well, there's no secrets anymore, you know, okay. <laughs> there, there's none. There's a camera on every corner and a spy plane in the sky. There's Chinese, there, there's, there's white balloons in the sky. Um, there's no secrets. None, none whatsoever. I got yeah. you. It, I feel like sometimes I'm always amazed if I'll talk to a kid. Recently, I talked to a, a kid um, and he has some beautiful tattoos, but also stunning photographs of his tattoo work, which mm-hmm. is interesting to me when people are able to take these tattoos and you're like, where there's no redness. And there's, you know, he, he started explaining a ph- photography process to me that he has. 
And at one point, as I'm soaking it in, I'm like, wow, there's a lot to this. And he's giving it all so freely. And right. like, this is stuff that he probably paid money to know about. And, and then I, I start, there's the context. This did like, you know, coming up, secrets weren't shared. People um, bent other people's uh, springs on their machines to make them change. <laughs> you know, you, they would water down their their black ink a little bit if somebody was getting a little bit hot shit around the shop. Is is uh was there competition like that going around at the same time um, that you were learning and that you were tattooing? Well, not not so much. Uh, like I said, there was only a couple of shops in D.C. and uh, after Shanghai, Carl left and uh, mm -hmm. Joe Ferrara. Uh, he went up with Johnny Walker and it was kind of explained that I really wasn't needed anymore. So, Oh, what so, happens in that they, case? Well, then I, I drift off and take my knowledge and I tried to find somebody else, which right. I eventually did, you know? Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. I mean, back in those w days, was I that the hard part? Was there a hard, hard road to try and find a place to settle in or was it almost now, now with the knowledge you had, it was almost easy. No, nah, because there just wasn't that many studios around at the time. You know, there just wasn't. When I first opened up my studio in 1980, I had drifted around uh, through the Carolinas and Florida and, and all this kind of stuff, you know, picking up, working here and there and, you know, doing what I could do. And uh, I came back up from Florida and all of a sudden there was nobody, you know, uh, both uh, Carol Nightingale and Joe Ferrara had, uh, ended up in jail and there wasn't a tattoo shop around the Northern Virginia area anyway. So I said, wow, this is my opportunity. You know, yeah. and I, I went in and opened up a studio and been there for you know 42 years now. Studio. What was the first name of the studio? And is it the same? Yeah. Rick's tattoos. Oh, nice and simple. Nice and simple. But there wasn't another studio within 30 miles of there. Right. So you almost just need to say tattoos. It one, in fact, one in of fact, the first things. <laughs> Arlington County did not want me there. They did not want a studio. Well, no, my, you, you, you bring in hookers and bikers. Well, sure. But my friend being an attorney and always up for a good fight, he, uh, he wrote letters and had meetings with them. And as long as they, he had pending actions against them, they really couldn't stop me. Now, what they did, they stopped. Because that would open themselves up for even more lawsuits for like exactly. some kind of conspiratorial stuff. Yeah. And so for five years, what they could stop is they, they did not allow me to put a sign up. Mm. Gee, for five years, I didn't even need to. You know, everybody around there knew where I was. Just word of mouth traveled like that? Or did you have some Work. neon in the... Wow. Nah, wouldn't let, wouldn't let me have no neon. At night, I'd go in. I put a hand painted, uh, like two by two wood sign. I'd put it up in the window. At night, when I leave, I'd take it down. Uh, okay. How did they did they want to try and find you and get infractions against that too? Or well, it's you know, their their ordinance was you know, so they couldn't stop me from tattooing as long as the case was pending, but they mm -hmm. couldn't stop put the sign out so i couldn't leave the sign in the window or they could come in and start trying to take an action 
cell. I put it in at night because most of them were closed. I didn't go in until five or six at night, and then I'd leave right. four in the morning. So I'd just take it back down and go on home. But one day, one of them board members is driving past while he's going to get a Sunday with his granddaughter. Oh my God! Look at that sign. No, I never ran into that, and we oh. finally got it all worked out. Well, know, I'm always but, working movie ideas in my head. Oh, I don't know why, but it just seems more entertaining that way. But I certainly, I mean, I remember opening up shop in 2000, 2001. I wish I knew years better. But having to deal with the board there who didn't have a similar business as their determination for my type of business. And so they were prepared to just wait a couple of years for them to make a determination on my business. And, uh, and my, I would, you know, be out all my, my building expense money. This sounds like a, it could be it's the, the fodder for a little feud village town feud, upright Puritans versus the tattoo artist who's destroying the community. Well, and, and that's exactly where they were falling back a lot on me was through the health department. Mm. You know, they, they had no health department rules to guide me by. So they wanted, you know, the time to do the research and they wanted right. this, wanted that. And, and finally, I sat down with the head of the health department at that time. And we sat down and we had a real nice meeting. I told him exactly what goes on invited him to the shop, showed him everything, this and that, and boom, within a week, he approved me. Were you guys using gloves? when you, uh, This is the 80s, you said, right? 1980? Yeah, this, no, we no gloves. Nah. Okay. Health department didn't have any problems with that either, though? None, none whatsoever. Bucket of water still? I, were, I were, you, were you still using a bucket of water? Uh, oh, no, no, I had sink. Okay. This, modern show okay <laughs> right on well hearing some of this people would be amazed um especially kids without their uh, idea of history you know in our industry that come in and buy a little dildo and go out and start tattooing on their friends or a piece of vinyl tattoo um but they wouldn't they wouldn't know about the history of when you said a bucket of water for getting the day ready when you were talking <laughs> about working with with uh johnny walker that's I right. understand, I believe, you correct me where I'm wrong, but that that bucket of water was intended to wash your clients down. All night long. Every single one of them. Every, all <laughs> night long. And, you know, ain't, ain't nobody got sick. You know, ain't, right. they, they didn't have the diseases and this and that. I when, I when I was tattooing a lot of times in the early days, I'd, you know, I'd be real busy and, you know, I'd be smoking a cigarette. You know, tattooing, put the cigarette down, take a bite of cheeseburger and keep on tattooing. You know, <laughs> and nobody got sick. <laughs> I've heard a story of a tattoo artist that um, used to cut his pinky finger and his uh, ring finger out of his gloves so that he could eat chips with them. <laughs> with his, his his tattooing hands still, so he could stretch with the other two fingers and then eat chips without getting anybody's blood uh, on his chips. There you go. Um, no, you didn't find uh, no no diseases reported back to the CDC. Then, I mean, none I, none whatsoever. When uh, regulations started coming in, we had to follow those things really closely or fairly closely. I mean, I'm yeah, not I like your friend was a lawyer, but. Yeah. Well, I think there weren't any cases. 
the ends of the 90s or yeah maybe the end of the 90s or mm -hmm. mid 90s or something when the hiv first started coming around and you know that's when they stepped in and started wanting to really regulate everything yeah and, any kind of bloodborne uh any business. kind of blood stuff so you know they came around and it's like wow you gotta you know now we want you to use the gloves and you know any any drippy blood things we want in a sterile trash containers and this and that which and you know and you know come in with the maticides and all this other kind of stuff but you know even back in those days we were single service everything uh you know we were doing our own sterilizing we all had the steel tubes you know we weren't using plastic stuff back then and you know so we were being as clean as we could be to start with do you think the this is a little bit off topic. I'd like to get back to some more history here in a minute. I'm going to direct us there, but do you think that the um, plastic tubes, like I, I see different, you know, technologies apply or introduced to the industry and on a timeline, I feel like some of those technologies you can see change the direction of, of it quite considerably. I feel that plastic tubes might've been as much the change towards cartridges as anything else because when you try to use a plastic tube with a coil machine it changed everything and made it like crap absolutely right there was so much drag in those plastic tips uh you yeah. had to retune, you had to retune your machines you know no mm -hmm. question about it it never could it just was never the same feel in that machine as if you were using a stainless steel tube i right. still plastic tube you no, still like what? It. Oh, you, you, so if you go to a show, do you you bring a sterilized stainless with you? I, I bring all my sterilized stainless. I bring my autoclave reports, and everything's dated and this and that. And I've never had any problems with a health inspector. Mm -hmm. No, no, not when doing it right. Nor nor should you have a reason to. Just right. uh, as I saw the other health departments were really pushing some of it around here. There were some of them that were talking excitedly sometimes to artists uh mistakenly excitedly to artists about how they were pushing to have single use everything inside right. of um and so that meant to them single use tubes was absolutely the best they were like if we could get you to throw your machine away after you got done oh my god we'd love it oh yeah i bet they would <laughs> yeah you wouldn't have minded either actually you're, you're quite a you have a, a good knowledge of machine building You'd be selling machine after machine. Yeah, you know, I, I still I still do my machine thing, and you know, and I bring a few around at the shows, you know, and uh, but you know, it's the same old thing. A lot of these kids aren't really uh, psyched on these uh, coil machines so much because they they have never had the apprenticeship to learn how to tune them, and tuning them's one thing, making them run is one thing, making them run to the way you tattoo, that's the trick. You know, how do you, how do you, some people wouldn't know how they tattoo. Well, I, I guess that's true too, but you know, I see a lot of people, I mean, they're, they outline fast or some people outline slow, you know, the same right. thing. And, and everything has got to work in accordance to the way you work. And there is a beauty to coil machines. Um, I don't use them anymore myself. Uh, I'm one of them, the, the traveling and the ease of this uh is is just 
too hard to keep up with. It feels sometimes. I even, and I, I feel it's a beautiful machine. I still have it. We're going through them today and we're setting <laughs> things in shadow it. boxes and trying to make something beautiful. <laughs> I might get back to it. I do have, I just found two, a bunch of my um, needle bars. So, uh, and, and some, uh, but damn plastic tubes. Yeah. <laughs> but you can generally the, the tuning isn't much more than screwing the contact screw down a little bit more or, or putting a little bit more back pressure on that back spring. That's exactly right. I mean, once once you have that knowledge in your head, it's so simple. You know, either a little more back pressure, a little, and front spring. You know, lighten up the front spring a little bit, or contact screw, back it off, push it down a little bit, and everything just falls right into place. These are all words that some people are listening to without any idea of that vernacular. <laughs> yeah, they have no clue on what I'm talking about. <laughs> but there is such a beauty to it, too, and it is missed the way... A good running coil machine it is not replicated inside of any. I use a tattoo machine that is probably the most close as far as a, as far as these dildos go. The dildo craze that swept the tattooing industry. As far right. as these dildos, I am using one that is the most like any um, coil machine I've ever used. But it is still not at all like my best lining coil machine that I remember from the days of of listening to it bogged down a little bit and that's not right. getting worried just just no nope, that's the sound we know it's going good that's where i, I run my hand this speed that's right see, see when it starts going a little bit faster i know i gotta speed up that's right that's exactly right you know that was all just the the beauty of doing it you know it's i i i can build the machines right now and i put them on my test uh my test bench there and I, and I hang them up and run and I can just listen to the way it's running. Okay. This one's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. There was a long period for me of, of this cause cause everybody does tattoo different and with coil machines, I didn't know how I tattooed because I was just picking them up off of whoever on the street. For the most part, I went to a, you know, a, a guy that had a, sh a street shop and I convinced him to sell me one. And he asked me how I wanted it to run. And I told him, you know, I already got a liner. So I guess I want it like a shader. And then he bent the fuck out of that back spring and just screwed it all up for me. And then <laughs> handed it to me, charged me at least twice what he was going to go buy and replace it for. That's right. Well, that, but, um, man, that long process for me to try and figure out the, the, the art of the coil machine until eventually I did know how other people might want their coil machines to run to. I could figure out different, I you would run in these people that, like you said, they liked fast line work and their coil machine had a harder front spring and uh, it, a, sh a shorter, um, a shorter throw generally for me. And then me, I like a slow ass liner that just gets quiet when it's running right, you know? And right. I, I would have to use like what many people would use almost on a color packer where uh, it had a softer front spring. Um, and, but maybe it, I'd cut it back. So it still had some good speed, but anyways, all that knowledge came over five to eight years of, of first trying to figure out how everybody said I was supposed to do it and then figure out that, Nobody in the industry had any true idea. Nothing was down to science. 
it was all down to everybody's opinion and their school of training that they had from somebody. Many different ideas that were not based in science, but instead in uh, folklore. Or, I, I remember even reading um, a tattoo machine book that was telling me how to change uh the, the the machine right so that it would work different ways and and it, it was expressing um to the importance of rolling the spring for the front spring are you, are you familiar have you heard this or is this um, I, I i roll every front spring on every machine i've ever built it makes a, a a large difference then absolutely you know the one one thing and i, I don't i'm not giving anything away but i've seen people do that where they just kind of they just bend it bend it you put mm -hmm. one little crease into any spring front or back spring that spring's going to break it has to be rolled yeah I, I i think they got away with it because they see so many that come out stamped and a stamped spring with a bend in it i believe to be different than a cut spring with a bend in. i think you got more chance to break but either way that bend also if i'm it it, it makes a place where electricity now flows differently that's right it has to go up to that 90 degree angle and cut over and then go up and there's going to be heat and friction and then movement from the bend and eventually yeah that thing pops off and but oh well um i love that the, the, it took me so many years though to figure out to uh roll my front springs and then the different methods of it and how they change and then the one thing about it too, I, th I feel rolling a spring made it so each front spring was unique because <laughs> you couldn't really roll them consistently. Have you? You, you must can't. have. <laughs> yeah, I can't. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well, not 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 to get into your machine building secrets, I guess. Um, so, but let's got, let's get I, into I, it. What's that? I got no secrets. You know, I was I was helped by some of the best to, to learn how to do this. They didn't have any secrets. I got no secrets. But your machines can be purchased at Tattoo Machine Supply, right? Or, you know, get on the uh, Rick Cherry, uh, what is it, Facebook thing or contact through the tattoo shop or something like that. It's, I go to Facebook I'm, and I see a lot of people tagging you because it says Tattoo Machine, I'm guessing yeah that yeah yeah so it's like I'm, it's I'm like all different suppliers <laughs> I'm, I'm simplifying my life right now so I'm, I'm cutting back on some of these websites and cutting back on a lot of this stuff and it's like wow just here get on facebook here's my phone number just call me and tell me what you want and let's talk to me you know is it ben um what's what's the uh you you come from a time when tattooing was so much different than what we have today what are the biggest learning curves today is it the interweb well i'm i'm sure it probably is you know uh, <laughs> you're yeah. sure it is but you don't have a you're, you you, I, you I, don't I, I really don't you know it's it's uh there there's so much uh you know everything everything's on the web everything's on the web and, you know, some of this new tattooing, and there are some real amazing artists out there, you know, mm -hmm. doing some really, really beautiful stuff, you know, not stuff like what we were doing it, you know, we were like pick and stick shops, you know, that's you pick it, people. we stick it. That's pretty much it. You know, we didn't, uh, I guess in my whole career, I've probably done two back pieces my whole life. 
you know, it, it just wasn't what was done, you know, in, in my studio throughout my career. It just wasn't. Well, when we go to the tattoo conventions now, it seems like there's probably 20 to 30 guys working on a back piece over the oh, weekend. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know how it is. You got first time, first time uh, virgins coming in there wanting, wanting their face tattooed. This and that. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't do that stuff back then. I wouldn't do that stuff to them. Absolutely not. I will anymore. But yeah, oh, yeah. I would do it back then. You, you just see, you're like, I'm just going to help your Instagram career. Here you go, kid. You know, Put hustler right on your face. It, it just doesn't <laughs> seem to make a difference anymore. You know? When was the last time you tattooed a face? Oh, it's been several years. I I only tattoo the very minimum at any shows that I go to. I don't work in the studio no more. And in fact, they don't even like me to come to the studio. You know, they want me to stay in Florida and leave them alone. <laughs> oh yeah, they, oh, they, yeah. it's ironed out working pretty good without you, huh? <laughs> now Florida down there with Joel. You see Joel very often or same area or not? Joel's about uh, two and a half hours, three hours away from me. And, uh, you know, he's not even tattooing anymore. And uh, even though we're building, he's more into his welding thing. And uh, a couple other, his wife has uh, this big nutrition uh, food thing going on that I think she does quite well with. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, He's happy, and you know we're still yeah. friends. Uh, I I talk to him. So does he have the shop anymore? No, nope, got rid of all the shops, and he had two shops. Got rid of both of those, and he's not yeah. interested anymore. Huh. He's always been diversified, and he had a mind for a lot. It's funny to see. I, I was just talking to a, a young guy yesterday, very young. It's the juxtaposition of my last two days for podcasts are fun. Yesterday, I'm talking to Clean Rock One's son, who's uh, is he 18 years old? He's not even 20 yet, and he, he's tattooing. And um, I, I, I basically, I hate it that I'm doing it, but as I hear him talk, I hear things that I have learned for me are a mistake, and then I just start old man in this kid a little bit, you know. You uh, <laughs> and I don't know that I was wrong to do it, but I don't know my venue was right either. One, he's talking about, he's like, yeah, man, I, even if it's a hundred dollar tattoo, you know, I'll, I'll be there for three or four hours. Like I saw him work uh, on a mm. tattoo and it probably did take him about three to four hours and he charged a hundred dollars and it was beautiful. Wow. It was really beautiful. Uh, but not um, maybe missing a little bit, you know, of, of the whole dynamic of, of what's going on. He's like, he really wants to do it for the client. I'm with you on that. And I just, but there's that balance, right? Like you do it for your client and then you fuck every other tattoo artist at this venue. Yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, you got to kind of, you know, even the boat. Cause this motherfucker comes back next year to this tattoo convention and they bring out this five hour black and gray, pretty piece. And they go around and they look at the, can you do this? And the person's like, no, 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 not for that price. Good Lord. What are you thinking? That's right. Till they find them another little baby rips. Um, so anyways, that's where I'm, I'm at with the difference of, of uh, his, his, um, his, when, when I was young, I feel the same. I couldn't say anything because I had to shut up really because I did the same stuff. You know, I ran ahead and tried to do free tattoos. 
for so long until I realized what they really cost me and the people that were wearing them. That's right. That's right. Um, going, let, let's go back to 1980s and starting the shop, if you don't mind, or even possibly let's go back to Huck Spaulding and, uh, and Johnny Walker. Okay. Because these are who the guy, the kids like, like baby rips. Um, they don't know about, and maybe he does. I hope he comes on and corrects me on this, you know, but the, the younger generation aren't familiar with tattooing A to Z, uh, the book, <laughs> the Bible, if you will. Did, did you, did that, that came out before you were tattooing, or no, that came out while you were tattooing, am I wrong? Yeah, that came out after I'd started and this and that. And, and you know, look, I, I, I knew Huck and, and, me and Huck always got to uh, got along pretty good until one particular incident. But uh, you know, I, I glanced at that book and <laughs> I wasn't very impressed with it. <laughs> you it know, but you know, I was Huck, curious what the what the yeah of the of the established artist would think of the new book. It, there was a lot of people um, this or that on it. Yeah, you know, I, and, and I only glanced through it. And it's just like, okay, A is this, B is this, and this and that. Not, no real usable knowledge that uh, I was aware of in there. And, and uh, but Diamond, the, diamond Nickel. That's what yeah. I ended up learning. And it yeah. drove me maddening and insane as I thought that it was the necessity of the machine then. <laughs> Are you, you, you familiar with what I'm talking about? The distance for it. the contact screw? was I've either got- a dime or a nickel, depending on if you wanted a shader or a color. And when it didn't work right for me, I just changed everything. And knew- the only thing I knew about the machine mm-hmm. was that had to be a nickel and that had to be a dime. <laughs> no I've, matter I've if got- it worked better for me any other way. I've got nickels and dimes back here on my workbench. I do, still, do you- that's, that's my starting point. I'll start there. And I like get- it. I have a starting point. And I start there, yeah. and, uh, you know, then I just adjust and tune from that point. No, that that was uh, an important part, I guess. I eventually, of course, get tattooed by Tom Renshaw, and this guy's got like mm-hmm. a quarter inch stroke on his machine or something like that. He's got to shake it to get started. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'm just like, this blows out all theory that I have <laughs> known prior. Like everything changes now. I've seen I've seen some of those guys that uh, had those super long strokers, but once they hit the skin, they they draw back in three quarters of an inch. Yeah, you know, they end up being soft, but they're real long strokes. Mm-hmm. So there again, make it do to what you want it to do. Yeah, I think I uh, I eventually found I liked to run a looser contact screw. Not not I mean I'd set the contact screw sometimes, but if I curved my front spring right. And if the geometry of the machine was nice for me, then I could just rotate that contact screw out for a, a you know, a softer hit, um, slower machine. And then right. I could kind of bring it back in. It'd get a little radley because they had that tip of the, of the spring, you know, hanging out over the top mm-hmm. of it still. And right. I, it, but then I could change, you know, my shader to my, my color and the way I liked my lines anyways was slow. So I was usually <laughs> running out there for that. Yeah, I had a I had a fellow work for me one time. He owned one machine. He worked for me for two or three years. He had one machine. He'd back his contact screw in or out, depending on what mm-hmm. he was doing. Use that one machine for two or three years. 
did fine by you then. You didn't you didn't yeah. fire him for his lack of versatility. No, uh-uh. no, okay. good, good artist. Before I make a claim, be like, yeah, and it still worked for me. Like, no, that kid sucked. I couldn't believe I kept him on as long as I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no. I found uh, eventually you just wanted um, different needles. So you would set up more than one machine. I think on, on the little TV show I was on there at one point, I had like seven machines set up on my tray of of different needles because they didn't tell us what we were going to do the next day, but they told us to be like, be ready. So I got like seven, eight machines out every different needle i could think of well there again let's let's jump back a little bit at one mm-hmm. time there was uh, the process you made if you had and most most artists back in those days had five to seven basic colors that's all they had plus their black they okay. would build, they would build and set up a machine for each color and they kept it in a test tube full of uh alcohol when mm-hmm. uh when they wanted to put in red in a tattoo they grabbed a machine that was in the red one they wanted to do the blue they grabbed a machine that was in the blue one Used same needle all night long rinse them and all in the, the bucket and put them in there where does the uh the the residue from the bucket go like do you rinse the clean rag rinse the tattoo and then you squeeze the clean rag back out into the bucket or is there oh, yeah. a separate bucket Nah, one bucket <laughs> all night long uh, and what a different era though too i mean as we as we almost recoil in the thought of some of this but what a different era because you also talk about um getting robbed and when i go back i read philadelphia eddie's story he almost wasn't a tattoo artist he was going to go rob a tattoo artist so right. there must have been a commonality to these areas where tattoos could be done i guess and and the boards didn't shut them down to well, where that's, uh, that's exactly right see the uh uptown people uh let's call them uptown people they did not want tattoo <laughs> shops so mm-hmm. and even like myself in arlington i had to uh, i had to go to the hood i found a, mm-hmm. I found a fellow i originally rented a, a studio in the up, up, upscale uh, shopping district neighborhood in Arlington County. And uh, the people never questioned me, never did this and that. And uh, I went in, signed the lease, and gave them my deposit. And the guy's throwing me the keys. And he said, well, by the way, he said, what are you doing in there? I said, I'm going to put a tattoo studio in there. He snatched the keys back, tore up the lease. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, dude. <laughs> yeah. Know? Had money already exchanged? Money had exchanged hands. Ooh. Well, my attorney buddy had fun with that one. I was okay. Yeah, you did say you had an attorney. <laughs> See, yeah, that's a buddy. big difference. How much? What a difference of success, too. I'm betting that that attorney itself made for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's uh, many people that setback that you just described. That's like life altering. Now they're just like, all right. Well, I guess I lost all that money in the in the build out. Or, or in the, you know, whatever kind of money was in the transaction. Yeah. And I start back from scratch. That's right. Knowing they yeah. don't want me there. Wow. So always good to have friends, you know? So what happens? Uh, did, did you have to move on? I mean, even, even though a legal recourse was happening with this lease being torn up, you still have to move on. And that legal recourse, that could take two to three years. Am I wrong? It, it took, uh, it took about six, eight months, but yeah, I moved. On. Okay. And uh, 
In fact, it was the other, it was a client of my friend who, you know, was in the hood in Arlington County. And mm -hmm. he had a small commercial place there. So he took, we drove up to him and, and we talked to him. And yeah, he gave me a couple of front rooms up in his building up on the second floor. And, uh, you know, I, I was the only piece of salt in a town full of pepper up there. But okay. I, I didn't care. And, and the people, the people up there that lived up mm -hmm. there, I got along with everybody great. I had no problems with nice. anybody. They didn't care about me being there and this and that. And so, I've, and well, I'm still, I've been 42 years. I'm getting ready to move now, but 42 years I've been there. In the same years. Wow. Yeah. Same spot. How has the neighborhood changed? Oh, it's changed. Everything's changed. You know, now there's a subway and a Domino's pizza across the street and all this other kind of stuff. You know, it's all mm -hmm. built up. That's why the, yeah. the lady that owns my building, uh, she's selling out because the county's coming in there. They're doing a big rehab section of Lee Highway in the county. And so she's uh, selling her building out right before they pulled the uh, eminent domain on her. Okay. So she doesn't figure she would do good with that kind of payment. But that's nah, you're so not you're not going to buy it either then because if that that's bad money, ain't it? Well, not only bad money, but I think she wants way, way too much money for it. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's well. If she's talking about getting out before she suffers a loss. Yeah. she can't expect to price it too high on the market. I would think. You know, she wants two and a half million dollars for it. So, you know. Oh I, well, look at you getting a spot in the hood, and it turned into this many years later. That's exactly right. What do you really think it, it would be worth? I, you know, I would, I, I would probably go on maybe a million, a little over a million for it, but, uh, right. and just stayed where I was at and took my chances. But, uh, cause you know, after 42 years of being up in there, I, I know, you know, most every, you know, business up there, I know their owners and everything. And there's a few of them up there that are, are going to put up a big fight. You know, they're not going to roll okay. over, let the County come in there. So. Right. So if someone wants to suffer the time, they could end up with a windfall from the eminent domain process. Well, you got a lawyer friend. I think, <laughs> look, I think, I think uh, like I should be now. He's retired. <laughs> okay. Right on. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, do you look at the numbers look, for you? Well, I'm uh, in my 70s now, you know? Good Lord. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize. But that, that does make sense. Some of these names... Like when you told me Johnny Walker was around at all, like I figured that so many that that made what it did, did for me, actually, it like allowed me to in my mind kind of touch this part of folklore and nostalgia type of history, you know, because my first machine that I loved, I had some other machines, <laughs> the first machine that I eventually loved and, and revered so much was that Johnny Walker frame deluxe Supreme, as it was mm -hmm. called from Huck Spaulding's it was based off the Johnny Walker. And once That's I right. learned how to get over the ideas of it being a Spaulding, because there is also, I, I talk now with such nostalgia and high regard for Spaulding routers, but when I was coming into industry, first thing you did, you started with a kit from Spaulding and Rogers and immediately you got something else, a Joe Kaplan or a Danny Fowler. Right. You know, depending on where you seem to be. And um, 
and, and, and then everybody talked as though it, because of the kits almost that Huck Spaulding, Spaulding and Rogers were just bad machines. And I don't know that there were, there, there's probably complaint there that's justified. I think they did a lot of things that just made their machines kind of just a little, little soulless, if you will. But the geometry was there. The geometry was perfect. What he did, mm -hmm. and when when uh, I first uh, started getting stuff from uh, Huck, and he was uh, right after, you know, it wasn't long after Paul and him had split up. And, uh, you know, he was still building a really, really nice machine. And, uh, you know, using a good tempered coils and cloth wrap the wire and doing, you know, a really excellent job with it. And I guess, you know, he got, uh, he got busy and look, I, I really had no problem with Huck. A lot of people had problems with Huck. I had no problem with Huck, you know, but, uh, most people he, felt that the, the genius was of, of Huck was more his marketing. This is just my opinion too, but please allow me to, for the audience. Many people thought that the combination of Huck Spaulding and Paul Rogers was that Paul Rogers was a, genius of tattooing magnitude unheralded in his time and uh spalding was kind of the barnum and bailey of the group he was the marketing genius and the person who put it out there that yeah and, and that sounds really really right too but uh okay you know the busier huck got you know the more he started wanting to cut corners on the machine mm -hmm. instead, instead of uh having a hand wrapped coil uh he was having a plastic thimbles wrapped with the wire and pushing the plastic thimbles down over the coil cores and it okay was, it was really robbing power and and just wasn't performing right they were so hard to tune and you know so it did start going downhill you know in the machine department now i i often you know would call either uh Huck Spaulding or, or call over to National. That's where I got all my ink powders from. He had all national powders. Okay. Back, back in the days when we used to mix our own, you know, it's, they were awesome. So, and good quality needles. And, and, you know, so it was just the machines that were really taking a hit. Right. As he found ways to mass produce them, he was, exactly. he was messing with the money end and the profit range. And, yeah, uh, the quality the quality was just gone out of the machine. That's all. But once you tape, lose the magnetism like that, then you need to change the springs. Usually, the spring has to get harder to overcompensate for the loss of magnetism, and and then you're running at a higher voltage uh, to achieve the same result. But it's because the machine's been inefficient. Is that well, right? Now, he even to, to do some compensating for it, what we used to call the toaster, is a power supply. Like yeah. That thing only started like at about 16 volts. It went up from there, you know, to compensate for the lack of the coils. Okay. Uh, so, so that's I mean, why you, could, you couldn't run a quality machine on those things. Right. <laughs> right. 16 volts. Yeah. Yeah. It was up there. So that you know, became you, the standard of a lot of those. Uh, when you would get a machine from, from overseas, usually China or something like that as well, they would have these, uh, coils that were used for industrial purposes now is, is coil they must have come along and to overcompensate for so many problems there they would just set up these super hard hitting springs like uh 22 gauge back springs and even, oh, even yeah. bigger than that like like some of the stuff that i was putting on 
like micrometers to try and figure out what gauge this could even be. Cause I'm like, this is so much. Right. Yeah. But and then, but, you know, when, uh, well, Mike Malone, Mike Malone started getting, uh, calling up Huck and saying, look, you know, I want, uh, I want your machine, but I don't want it coated. You know, I don't want no chrome. I just want it plain. And then Mike was building his Rolomatics out of that. Same frame, just weren't plated. Okay. And awesome machine. Mike was, you know, hand wrapping the coils and doing this and that. And they, they were, I got one from Mike back in, I don't know, like 85 or something like that when I was over in Hawaii visiting. And uh, man, I used that thing for like 20 years. That was an awesome machine. They were better without the plating. Oh, absolutely. And, and the hand wrap coils. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yep. You, you still hand wrap your own coils? Have you found I that, do. that are make? Wow. I do. And what of the people that are still using the machines? These are people that are from this era, or are, do you find young kids now inspired by the all of the, you know, the story, the nostalgia and, and they're using this in their day to day. Talking about my machines. Yeah. Yeah. How has uh, your experience you know, with your I, customer I, base changed? I do. I, I have, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, the people that have been around for a while, they've been using my machines for a while, you know, and that's, you know, that's great. These, uh, these kids, they, they have no knowledge of me, nor, I guess, and nor should they, I guess, but, uh, well, you, know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, they, they don't, they don't, the history and this and that, that don't mean nothing to them. You know, I do know. And I kind of, I, I felt like that at one time, probably right. Coming up in the, in the hood, in the trailer park, as it were, um, it didn't matter to me much about Huck Spalding, Paul Rogers. You know what I mean? Like I had the right. book. That's all I, I was of it. You know, um, I was on a certain course. The history never meant anything because I was in the pursuit of the art. But it, right. I think that maybe I, I believe there's a bit, a large part of that that needs to be cared for. I don't I, I don't want to sit and make judgments on this next generation right so much as uh like this is wrong and this is what you should do because because how the fuck do i know but i do I, I do think there's a quality there that people could learn many life instances from anyways um i don't know so why not right like like i actually i guess this is how i see it many people in our industry as artists if we aren't careful we will mistake and think that the only thing that we gleam from the people we look up to is their ability and after we have learned their ability and now we do it and we set our sights on a new horizon we can see those people as almost worthless to us when we're actually missing out on a huge part of life in that case, and we're setting ourselves up for a huge future failure as mm. others then rightfully look beyond us uh, it, when we are in our twilight, if you follow uh, me. Yeah, you know, I'll follow you and agree 100%. You know, it used to be, uh, let's say, from the later part of the 70s, when you had one, maybe two conventions a year, that was mm. it. Uh, I would go to these places and I would have the opportunity to meet, uh, you know, like the Ed Hardy's and, and uh, God, I'm so bad with names, uh, the older folks, you know, and, and uh, Jack Armstrong's and, and all okay. these people. 
And man, all I wanted to do was sit down and talk to these people. You know, I, I wanted to get in their head. I wanted to know what they knew, what they could tell me. You mm-hmm. know, that, that's that's old, old Doc Webb out of San Diego, one of the nicest dudes that I would ever meet and talk to. Every every morning at a show, me and him were always the early ones up. We'd be sitting downstairs having coffee and breakfast, and he would just fill my head full of stories. And, man, I was just soaking it up, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you don't have that anymore. You know, you, you just don't have that. And, uh, you know, to me, that was a very important part of tattooing. You know, I I wanted to know what these guys did and, and how this came along and, and, you know, all the history behind it. And you know, I looked up to these guys, you know. I wanted to be these guys. Was you know, it mostly conflict stories of, of – um... Of, of triumph at the end, you know, like this was a, a thing that I had to go through to learn or, or to understand, or were they just stories of bygone past in, uh, in kind of really, um, the glory just, days? Just, yeah, just stories, just good time stories of their, their life in the tattoo business. And, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately some of, some of these guys where I got to know, it was like at the very last part of their lives and careers and, you know, not all of them, you know, fell upon good times and, you know, but even that was part of grooming me to be where I'm at now, because I would listen like Jack Armstrong. I love that man to death. And Old timer. Yeah. And he and didn't he there and just talk to me and this and that. And the man didn't have two nickels to rub together. You know, he was selling to- parts of his body on eBay at the end of my wrong. And no, and and he'd come through there, and he'd I say, Jack, Jack, you got any machines to sell? Uh, I might have some parts in my car. Well, go get them. I'll buy them. And and he brought me two or three pieces of a frame one time. He mm-hmm. says, Can you give me ten dollars for these? And this was in the seventies. I think I gave him fifty dollars. I All said, right. Well, and I, and I still have those parts. I'll never get rid of them. Jamie, yeah, he's um. A lost kind of legend here here's the little that i know about him i guess uh, if you remember uh you might have run into a guy named joe satterwhite at one time well, he made been- a he made a calendar and it was of people that i should have known and when i got a job at his shop uh he wasn't excited about how green i was at all and he, I must have impressed him enough that he thought he didn't need to apprentice me. And at one point I kind of called him my mentor in front of a, a customer and he back, he, he lashed me on it. You know, he, he got me in the back room. He was like, listen, I, I'm not a mentor. You are not my apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but throughout that too, I learned a lot. You know, he was in no place. He, he wasn't ready to take on somebody. He's like, I'm not ready to take your mistakes on. They're yours. You fuck figure it out. <laughs> but he had a calendar on the wall of all these heroes. Right. Jack Armstrong was one of them that he looked up to. And I got to see the most. And I understood that he was, he had like a tattoo inside of his ear and he was selling his ear, I believe at the end of of his life to help pay for medical expenses. Yeah. I don't and, know exactly what, what he did. I heard those stories. I never saw any of the ads for, for body parts, but hell I'd have probably uh, bought them too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I also, um, I, I mean that to frame kind of a story for uh, the, the, 
I don't, the way we should look up to those who have come before us so that we can see that we're standing on giant shoulders because you can reach higher shelves. If you imagine that you do this by yourself, first off, you're wrong and you're standing on an imaginary ladder. That ladder can be pulled up from you at any time. And when you become old and as the new kids are seeing your imaginary ladder, they're the ones that are going to pull it out. Oh, absolutely. It, it, if you stand on the shoulders of those people who have went before, then they will help you achieve. And one part of that is you help out the those. Uh, I don't know. The Ric Flair kind of story appeals to me somewhat. And maybe it's it's gone, but um, I'm Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H, he saw that, that Ric Flair was like backstage not being treated like Ric Flair. Right. And this is something that needs to be fixed because um, because the value of people are not based off of what they can give you. The value of people is just the value of people. And it, I don't know. For, for me, learning that and uh, has it, been a part of it. Uh, of um because otherwise i feel like where am i going i there's not a lot of pension in tattooing no there is not a lot of health care and at one point you need people uh, under underneath you to look up to you and to see you and it, if you weren't that coming up <laughs> then why do you deserve that going down so well, it, that's right and that's right you know and and you know i they they shaped they shaped my career, you know. In them not even knowing it, I'm sure, mm -hmm. but they shaped my career and, and put my work work ethic in there. And uh, you know because I did, I saw a lot of bad, you know, and and but I also saw a lot of good. And you know the bad, I made up my mind. You know I wasn't going to be the guy that uh, walked around there trying to tattoo somebody for ten dollars because i was broke mm -hmm. you know I just just wasn't going to go there and and even i mean it's great one of the kindest nicest people in this business was paul rogers mm -hmm. you know paul rogers continually hear this away. yeah he gave all his money away he, he died broke passed in uh, a, a trailer park in jacksonville florida if i'm not mistaken that's right that's right and, With a uh, few people coming to visit him still and a couple of magazines articles that would be written on it. And uh, you, you saw somebody that was, it was in, it, me, it, through the magazine article of somebody kind of who was saying at the time, hey, motherfuckers, let's, um, let's have some awareness. You know, this is, this is Paul fucking Rogers. It was kind of what the article was saying. And, well. and I'm as a kid, watch, he meant something to me. He did. All the, that that machine building stuff, um, that was all him. All that that Spalding stuff that I imagine that was Paul Rogers. No, I that fucker um, kind of he. You, you remember when I talked about Tom Renshaw, who is an amazing tech, and he really pushed portraits so far, and he had to shake his machine to make it run. Right. Paul Rogers on his desk. I don't know. If, I'm sure. I'm sure he made versions of this. He had some kind of like upside down contact screw design that was designed to to give that that weightless hit without having to really shake it it, it was just like it, with an understanding of the geometry of the machine when you would look at this in its um it was just its schematics 
there was something a little beautiful about it, you know? Absolutely. To me, the to me the tattoo machine is a beautiful thing. It, it's it's a beautiful thing, and and mm-hmm. you know, I've I've been very lucky in the tattoo world. I've I've been lucky enough to be very comfortable and uh, and uh, but you know without the help of people like Paul Rogers, there wasn't a time that that when I couldn't see Paul at a show or call him up and say, Paul, look, I'm having trouble with this and this. You know what's the deal? I mean, he held nothing back. He'd tell you. He'd tell you everything he knew. And awesome. I, I, try, I try to give back now. You know, some of the mm-hmm. kids that come up to me at shows and this and that, and they ask, they're trying to learn about machines and this and that. I'll sit there and tell them anything they want to know. You know, just here, this can make your life better. Have at it. And this is what you need to do. You know, Johnny all right. Walker. Then do yeah. we stuff our, our coils with steel wool? Oh, uh, Lord. I've heard them stories for years. <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> okay. Never once? Never once. Okay. I did. Never but did I don't and then I did it for a while, like religiously. And then when I would work on other people's machines, I would do it with no idea that it was doing any bit of difference for that machine. When I look back on it, I laugh a little. So that's well but um Danny Fowler was sure of it. I, Am I, I wrong? Well, he was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, I have, uh, I was lucky enough, uh, Paul Rogers designed a coil core, and his theory was that the more metal you exposed in the coil, the stronger the magnet was going to be, and I got uh, some of those coils, actually Joel got them from Crazy Ace, Ben Richmond. Okay, uh, Joel Illich. Joel Illich. And uh, so then, you know, between me and him and Tattoo Machine Supply, we manufactured a bunch of these things. And the truth be known, these are awesome coils, but they're the only ones like it we've ever seen. And, you know, I tried to get out here and push them. I showed them to a lot of machine builders and, you know, that uh, nobody seemed interested in them, but I swear by them. What, what, what's the big difference then? Just they have more iron in them or they're a different well, type of the, iron? No, it's it's not even that, but his theory, the more uh, iron that you expose. So he cut grooves all in the coil cores. There's grooves all the way around on the inside where you wrap. There's grooves all the way around the outside on the top. So you're okay. exposing more metal. And, you know, I can wrap them in more surface this. area. More to, surface area. I got you. Yeah. More surface area. Is it like a knurling that he puts on it then? Yeah, almost. Almost exactly like a knurling. And then the the copper itself there is going to kind of mush in a bit, especially as it winds, I'm guessing. Yeah. And, uh, and then even touch more surface area. So, again, not just exposing that surface area, but now coming into contact with it, causing right. greater magnetism. That's right. I swear by them. I still, I still have a bunch of them. I still wrap them up. I love them, but you know, something, this part is probably the boring part for people, but I fucking still love tattoo machines (laughs) and coils. And there is nothing with a coil hit inside of these dildos. And it seems to me, I'm surprised that nobody is attempting to recreate that. I mean, they're attempting to recreate it, but they're not, attempting to recreate it as a power drawing down they're all doing it from maybe even if it's a magnetism with a with a rotary it's a magnetism pushing down as a, as opposed to pulling down 
which which changes it a lot in my opinion because now the dissipation and the pull back is is more you know what i mean we're quicker right. out of the skin when i do the draw down uh, or uh, the push down it feels like now i'm pushing back against the magnetism and not really getting the feeling of it just pulling away from the skin more drag more snags of the needle and uh, more more damage to the skin absolutely so there's still so many little things you know little things and but I, I stick where, you know, when, when I was entitled to what information Johnny Walker gave me about uh, what Sailor Jerry taught him about machines. And, and I've got information on that and between Paul Rogers and this and that. Do you feel I, like Bruce Lee kind of or not? Cause it's not I, don't know about, I don't know about the whole Bruce Lee thing, but it's just a combination. And it gets down to how many ohms is this and that and this and that and and uh, it just seems to be a perfect combination. It just seems to work out. I see no reason to change it, and I'm not going to change it. Not at this point in my life. And and uh, that's still, you don't have a supply company except machine building, right? Yeah, and it's not, we don't, me and Joel don't even really have the supply company anymore because he's just, he lost interest in the whole tattoo world. So, I mean, I just, I sit up here in Florida and, and just build, well, down here from you and, and mm -hmm. uh, build my machines and, you know, take a few to the shows. And if anybody has interest, you know, that's, that's good. And if they don't, they want, just want to talk about them. I'll talk about them. And I usually bring a few old ones around for people to look at. And, you know, I got some old Percy Waters machines. Oh, God. I've Tell us about, have you ever run into him, Percy Waters? No, no. Uh -uh. Okay. No, but just stuff I've acquired and uh, I've got. I've what was got his lineage now, with Johnny Walker? I don't know that he had it. Okay. You know, it's See, just uh, Percy Waters was a, a manufacturer back, a supplier back then. and uh, From Detroit, am I wrong? From Detroit. And uh, okay. to, to be able to get his machines now, uh, you know, you got to find somebody who's got them hidden in a in a box in a safe somewhere. And they're just what, do not you, available. what do you spend on a Percy Waters tattoo machine? What is, what's the right price for one? You know, Percy Waters machines you can get anywhere from you know between depending on the shape between one to two thousand dollars. Okay. You know, I I've got uh, I've got. When I was in uh, Hawaii visiting with uh, Mike Malone and Candy Everett, uh, I got from Mike an original, built by the man, Sailor Jerry machine. He said he only had three left, and I got one of them. I've never He's tattooed the... with it. <laughs> what do you figure a price on that would be? To me, there is no price. I know that, yeah. Well, here's yeah. what I'm imagining, that there's no way that it, it, it's also so priceless that there's no way that it would ever be valued appropriately by anybody outside of that world. Without us exchanging this history, now, they're, they're, like you can imagine a point where we go forward, people are like, Sailor, huh? Oh, that's yeah. a style. Yeah, I've, I've done that before. Heavy line work, right? Yeah, I saw his name on a rum bottle. Does that mean anything? <laughs> you know? Jerry, Sailor Jerry, not a big uh, drinker. 
Right? Am I, I'm, I'm not wrong about this. My The story that I hear, at least I believe from, from Kate, was that at least in part, some part of his life, he was kind of a teetotaler. I've heard that story. And he doesn't, he, he was, so here he is on a bottle of rum and the irony. Right. Is, is his family making money? Well, that's, who cares, actually? That's stupid. Me. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't have any clue about that. I, I'd never, I'd never had the opportunity, even though I was invited over. I never had the opportunity to meet the man, which is one of my big regrets. Oh my God. I'm guessing, you know, and, uh, let's talk to you about regrets now. Jesus uh, Christ. You had an opportunity what, to go to Hawaii then it would have been, or was he going somewhere else? Well, no, no, no. I, I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii, yeah. which means I could have gone uh, up to his studio and met him mm -hmm. like I did with uh, Mike Malone. I was uh, my brother-in-law at that time was stationed over there. So we went over there and I took his car and we rode up into Chinatown and, and walked in, talked with, hung out with uh, Mike and uh, Mike. yeah. But never got the chance to with Sailor Jerry. Did you not see the value at the time? Um, yeah, at the time. Were you busy? Just, yeah, you know, both, you know, mm -hmm. both. And I was still kind of a young punk back in those days, and I don't think anything had really soaked in that much. And mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, regrets, regrets. Yes, indeed. I've had a few. Yeah. But then again, awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm. I like that though too. In a large amount, uh, there are like a Philadelphia Eddie. Oh uh, my loved, God! I loved Eddie. And I myself has squandered and I had opportunity, but here I am doing this little ink master tour at the time and towards the end of uh, Eddie's um, life and I uh, kind of squandered any times. I, I mean, I hung out and I get him a, a, a you know, a, a vodka and, and orange, just, but that, and then, Hey, bye. So yeah, I almost left my wife and stuff to hang out. Cause I'm tattooing. I got things to do. And then you come back to a, a moment when you're like, I had so much opportunity. He was so ready to give a good story. Oh, absolutely. Man, Eddie, talk your ear off. Just, just buy him a drink. Oh, yeah. That's all yes. Yes. And, and but that's what I mean. I like, I remember one time getting him a drink as monitor, as a matter of like honor, right? Like, and, and so excited to be able to do it. The, the moment for me to soak up was there. I could have turned into a sponge, but I had work to do and I went off to tattoo. I actually left my wife and son to kind of soak up and take a photo. And, and if, you know, he was to, to get his stories because I had, I got to run off. I don't know. I regret that quite a bit now as uh, right. it, and and that brings me to moments like this, I guess, to where I'm like, let's try to as much as I can. I've got a silly little platform given to me by people's interest in the anger of um reality television i guess or in the right. art of of tattooing actually mm -hmm. so let's expose expose some more of our um client base some more of our of, of my platform people to to what we should be paying attention to at all right. times too not just the future of tattooing but also the past and how it can help shape the future i i remember um sailor jerry you talked about this before that there were bad inside of tattooing but you you paid attention to the good and sailor jerry uh in his book had a he would often talk of people in the industry as wide-ranging he, he didn't 
he he didn't have the highest opinion of many people in the industry. There there the, was uh, there there was a, a stretch. I, I don't mean to say that of like he he didn't like this guy or that guy. I more mean to say that he saw that it attracted a bad element, and if not being uh, curtailed, that that could ruin things. Well, in some of that, he was talking about the some of the artists that were in the business at the time. Yeah, and uh, there there was, and just like any other business, this and that, there was. There was less than upstanding citizens in the tattoo trade, and uh, just look just like every other trade, you know, mm-hmm. the tattoo trade being so observed at the time and upcoming and breaking new grounds, it was just you know kind of put into other artists' face more than the public, I believe, you know. Mm-hmm. And there there was a time in in the eighties and this and that where. You could be at a convention and, you know, if you weren't one of the cool guys, which I wasn't, you know, then you were kind of shunned, you know, if you didn't want to go out there and, you know, smoke weed and pop a handful of pills or something like that, or just hang mm-hmm. out and get tore down drunk. And you weren't one of like the cool, cool guys. guys do. Yeah. Like the cool guys did, you know, and, and I wasn't yeah. one of the cool guys, you know, so. You well, know. well, you were uh, <laughs> driven by the art of it. Well, there with along with everything else, you know, when you're in that kind of a state of uh, hallucination or intoxication and, you know, not everything goes as planned and the artwork wasn't coming out like you may have wanted it to. And but you were partying, you know, it's I over the years, I had a lot of people that just that would not work for me because I was not a party guy. You weren't going to come in the shop and get drunk and smoke weed and this and that all day long. Just wasn't going to happen. All right. Well, come you out know? for a guest spot. Well, it don't sound like fun. Yeah. No, you're right. probably right. You know? So. <laughs> if but, that's you know, kind of fun you're looking for, you're probably right. I've, I've lasted a few years and, <laughs> you know, so I guess I did something right. You think you had your eyesight on longevity kind of in the industry uh, the, the whole time? Well, there was no question. This is what I was going to do. This is mm-hmm. this is all that mattered to me. If my wife, my poor wife, and she'll swear to God on this. I when I first opened up my business, it was so important to me. And like I said, back in 1980s, you know, there there wasn't that many shops around. You know, right. and, uh, I went 17 years and never took a vacation. I could not leave that shop. You know, I was afraid I was going to lose business, you know, this or that. Mm-hmm. I, I, 17 never, years. Never took a vacation. And your wife's still with you? Yeah, she is. What the fuck? You must be hung like a horse. Shit, we I, we I, don't need to talk was, about the bedroom stuff, but you're doing something right. Yeah, she was, <laughs> I was hung like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> well, she... You got something going for you. You're working. You're working some angle of that. 17 years, unless you were sending her on a vacation by herself or something like that. But well, not many her, women going to be able to put up with that. Her and her, 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 and her girlfriends would go off every once in a while. Now, I didn't ask too many questions, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. But not, somehow, tattooing, tattooing somebody, was, you know, was just my life. This was it. This mm-hmm. this is my life. You know, and this is what I was going to do, and I'm going to put every bit of effort into it because I loved it. I see that. 
Did you feel like you were on vacations when you would do those one to two shows a year? Oh yeah, and and uh, <laughs> yeah, and, a working and vacation. Turn around, I'd, I'd be gone. For, I'd be gone for a day or two, and it's like God, I got to get back to work. I got to get back to work. You know? Was that some? That's a work ethic, though, that comes from something other than tattooing. When you think, or is it was the love of tattooing, or did you also have this work ethic at other things you applied yourself to as as a kid or whatnot? Yeah, I, I pretty much had an ethic going on about work, and uh, okay. just you know something that uh, was always very important to me. Making a living was always very important to me. Eating food was always very important to me. And uh, you know, were there times when you weren't eating food? There was times I was looking for a dollar to get a hamburger or something, but you know, it, you know, it, it is what it is and it was what it was, but you know, well, that's what you talked about doc Webb's um, stories. And you also talked about getting a, a sense of ethic of work ethic or oh, hearing that resounding in his stories that, oh, that kind of, it got me keen to, I guess, to, to listen to that part. Like, what did you find that what was about doc that that you found about his work ethic that was outstanding well for one thing he was just another one he was just just so laid back and calm and nice and you know he was just happy to sit there and, and share his stories and you know talking about when ed hardy came to work you know right after his apprenticeship he worked for doc webb and he used to have to get on hardy for using too many colors and you know, <laughs> you know, you used the black and two colors and we get them out of here. And Ed was always wanting to put a whole lot of colors in them. And <laughs> he, just, he just loved to share, you know, and, and I just wanted to sit there and listen. You Was there, um, now, nowadays there's kind of schools of, of, I don't know if it's ethic, but, but so there's the do everything idea that is still there and has its place for sure and then there's the specialize in one thing and be excellent at it idea that also has value were, were you seeing that um throughout the industry i imagine there was a lot more of the do everything at the first was, at the earlier and oh, ed, ed hardy might have been one of those specialized guys well yeah but uh yeah, no, back in those days, you know, you uh, you pretty much did anything and uh, because there there wasn't there wasn't a specialty. Now, there was a few spread around here and there. And Tom mm. Beasley over in Dragon Moon Tattoo, he was one of them. He was Japanese style. You wanted Japanese style, you went to Tom Beasley, you know. Okay. And, uh, but other than that, I mean, most of us, like myself and the. Uh, Charlie and Sandy Parsons over at Great Southern Tattoo, and they were the closest ones to me. We were basically we were street shops. You know, mm-hmm. you come in and pick it and stick it. If one day you wanted to sleeve it, tell me what you want. Oh, I want Japanese fill in. Uh, you know, take your sharpie, draw some lines on there, throw a few flowers in, a couple waves, and there you go, my man. Now you got a sleeve. Started now with a bunch of pieces. Throw some Lyle Tuttle on them, man. Put some stars and dots on them. Stars and dots. Fill it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's right but yeah so you were pretty versatile pretty versatile yeah well was there probably weren't even so many styles now um i'll hear about a style with, with no idea of even what they're talking about and i thought that was only me <laughs> okay <laughs> yep i feel better knowing that then too it must just happen 
I, the, the kid yesterday was telling me uh, the importance of, of doing everything. And uh, I liked it. I liked hearing it because one, he's got a real strong work ethic. And number two, it also shows that even if there's a specialization to come in his future, that he's excited to learn from every element so he can put that together. That's great. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. I it mean, was, you it was, you there's so many, there's so many one style uh, people out here right now. And, and that's what they do. And, uh, you know, they, they don't, you, you, and I've seen it. I've seen it. I didn't, wasn't a big follower of the Heat Master show, but I've seen a few of them. And, and it's like on, on traditional day. And some of them guys can't even put a line down. You yes. know, it's like, wow. Okay. That should have been what you learned on your first day. <laughs> Well, a lot of that too is going to be, I mean, because of the technology that changes, changes the emphasis on the importance of one, because of how much harder it is to do a good line work with a plastic cartridge, uh, a, a one and a quarter inch uh, shaft and a rotary machine that is 50% in its duty cycle down and 50% in its duty cycle out. Hmm. You're going to cut up the skin a bit. You're going to snag the skin a bit more often. You're really going to have to. So, so the importance of line work starts to go away for, as it did, at least for me, almost as, as, as just like, these are the tools that are, are being used by me. If you follow um, right. I feel like that's why I feel that plastic tubes were as much the downfall to coil machines as anything else. And not just plastic tubes, but as uh, the desire of health departments. And I, I remember one of the, I can't remember what state it was, but I feel like we went to a state and they were like, no, only plastic tubes. Or maybe it was only for the show that it was only plastic tubes. But I was like, how, how do you, how do you do that? Cause everything changes. Yeah. I forget uh, I forget what show it was, but I'm I'm pretty sure that I've been to one or two of them where it was totally disposable. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. want to bring. In fact, I had to go out and buy plastic tubes at the supply desk where they would give me my license to work. Right. Yes. <laughs> and with that kind of a thing, you eventually just like, well, I guess that's where we're at. Now my line work's going to suffer, but there are ways to build a tattoo without having to be reliant on line work. And now with so many different genres out there, it's it's more possible to to create that lack of line work tattooing. And so because of your tools not being appropriate, um, I think that it, it tends to go that way. Same as I think the NUMA tattoo also kind of uh, the, the feeling of importance of NUMA's tattoos when we saw them in the hands of really uh, the, the pneumatic ones. You remember the ones that ran by air, right? But we saw that they went out in the hands of some of the biggest influencers at the time. Like I think Iachkinson might've been using them. Right. Um, uh, Nico Hurtado and others, the De- DeVries, Mike DeVries, people that were really pushing the envelope with those color realism things, something new. And so you looked at the guy using this and you want to say, well, what's the difference here between me and him? And you don't look at his education because it's not there. It's not obvious. So you say, it's that fucking machine in his hand that's running off of air. And then everybody's like, well, those magic wands that they have, that makes you put in a realistic tattoo that looks like you're ready for, you know, your MySpace picture, which it was at the time. But um, then I saw that those machines kind of gave way to the 
coil into the uh, rotary machines. And after that step, the importance of coil machines uh, seemed as though it were diminishing in people's eyes. And mm-hmm. they were now on to this new thing that worked hand in hand with those Cheyenne uh, cartridge systems that everybody wanted to employ so that they could use various tattoos without so much setup. Mm-hmm. All ease. I don't know. Um, that's it, To me, it's interesting to see that change in in the interest in in the industry's opinion kind of and how it changed tattooing i believe because well, i found definitely mm-hmm. changed tattooing and and uh you know there there again where you're talking about uh you know with the machine you know you you don't necessarily want to line and you build your colors and shades and and all that kind of stuff but in my world and I don't know, you know, and, and everybody's got their own thing. I just don't think that's a strong tattoo. Well, it the day of the kid is for the Instagram post. And with the three different filters that I learned that you run on your stuff, you put one on your camera lens and one on your one on each of your lights. So you control the glare and you make an awesome image of for your <laughs> for your Instagram. And it will last forever. That image will last forever. That image will that last That image. That's yes. right. That's is what I see. And th- unfortunately, at some point, that is what we're, we're, we're competing in this imaginary world of that image. Because um, when somebody brings me the tattoo that they want me to literally compete against, you know, they're like, can you do this for around a price of a reason that I can get, you know, and they show right. me a tattoo. It's that tattoo. And it's not. It's not the five years pictures like, hey, I want a little bit of honesty. Uh, this thing's been at the beach a little bit. So uh, just so you can have some judgment, here is this tattoo 100% lacking ca- contrast. You know, they don't. Not that I'm saying that's good or bad. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of bad to that, obviously, for your client base. Um, the Tattooed Truth Fairy uh, was a website that I followed for a short period of time. Um, and he exposed people's beautiful work and then what it might look like five to 10 years later. Um, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, and in fact, I, I have quit. I was, was asked quite often to, to go to the judgment tables, you know, for the contest. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I'm, I'm too honest. You can't put me up there. You know, I, I hurt people's feelings and, and I don't mean right to, to their face. You mean, or Absolutely. I mean, okay. you, you asked me to judge this tattoo and I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, the truth yeah. might not be what you, the truth is I see it. Right. And that might not be what you want to want to hear. So I'm the next asshole and, you know. And right. But that big field of red and pink that you put up there <laughs> for, for your tattoo or background, that is going to change throughout your life in such a dramatic fashion. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, oh, it's, it's just, it's just pitiful, you know, and, and the worst thing, that worst thing that happens, I'll sit there, they'll walk up, throw an arm or something, leg in front of me, and they say, start trying to explain their tattoo to me. Uh-uh. <laughs> if I can't look and see exactly what that tattoo is, that tattoo is shit in my world. Um, how far away do you, do you feel that uh, too? A couple of feet. Okay. You know? They're a couple of feet away from me, and I can't make out what that tattoo is. That's not yeah. a good tattoo. 
I I've, talked to I talked to Richard Sell after he had done the Ink Master show one time, and uh, you know, me and him were on the same page on a lot of issues. You know, <laughs> he come on there as a judge. Or he wasn't he competing. On, he came on there as a judge one time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, then he had a convention in Oklahoma right after that that he invited me to, and uh, so we were talking about that up there, and yeah, he was kind of shaking his head a little bit. And, but you know we're we're two uh, you know we're two old school kind of guys you know. No, I I understand because uh, I was one of these youngsters that wanted to push that image, and I've I've run against the idea for the longest time that those tattoos. Are, oh, you're wrong. I guess was kind of my. You're you're basing this off of your archaic knowledge, or you know you don't understand. But ink and ink pigments haven't really changed. The sun is still the same damn sun. That's right. And as I have seen my own work come back to me with less than, you know, happy results. And I, at the same time, there are these modifiers and a lot of people don't see that. So like uh, you're looking at, uh, I was watching Nika Hurtado work in Philly um, just a couple of weeks ago. That guy is amazing. (laughs) He is amazing. And he destroys a lot of the, like he is the person that people will use as the example in many cases. But even right. when you listen to him talk, he has such a regard for tattooing and tattooing's lasting that you see he actually puts a lot of thought into it. And I believe it even goes to his client base. The kid he was working on did not have a tan. <laughs> he did not. You know right. what I mean? Like this guy, he maybe and we're here in the in the winter, but he was an East Coast guy. And he was uh he was like New York, I think. And um probably pretty well off. He had a couple other Nico pieces on him and they were phenomenal looking first passes. And Nico's also explaining that I've always liked that, that Nico would put on his, his posts, but first pass, second pass still needs another pass. He would always say things like this, giving you the understanding that he sees that this is almost even a maintenance up to a point and that it won't be the same tattoo possibly in 10 years depending right. on the, the person's involvement with so if you're a person who can get the scandinavians and the the sun uh you know the fearful of the sun the vampires if you right. can tattoo the vampires then then maybe you got something there but the truth is when you when i you see these tattoos that go out and you're like well this guy's a, a fisherman he's a you know he, he really likes to go deep sea fishing in florida but <laughs> man i love realism you know <laughs> Right. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool to put a light blue aqua, aquatic scene all on his right forearm that's going to be doing all the pulling for that swordfish? You know, that thing's gone. And, and we learn these things. And eventually now I'm to a point where I really like black and gray uh, applied tattoos um, for the purpose of, of that. I've seen that they seem to do the best for me. You know, even if they lose values, the same image is there. Maybe it just becomes a little less uh, prominent and more ethereal, if you will. That's what I try to call it. So I feel better about it. (laughs) I tell tell people that all the time because uh, the majority of my tattoos are older tattoos. And and we're done, you know, picking stick, color, you know, this and that. Mm. You know, back then you did not tell the tattoo artist how to tattoo you. You know, you pointed out a picture and he did that thing the way he wanted to do it. Not the way you wanted to do it. Didn't make no difference. But I would probably have gone the black and the black and gray, no color tattoos. You know, if you had it to do over. Yeah. If I had it to do over, 
I mean, they're just, they're, they're lifetime tattoos. The color does not, you know, you don't have to worry about the color fading out and, mm-hmm. and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I think they just hold up a whole lot better, you know? It, so It's the old man in me, I think. Uh, it's, it feels the same. And then I, and then I see this stuff that people do and it's so inspiring. And yet at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm wrestling with that, I guess somewhat now, whereas, um, I, I want to be hopeful for people that it's going to be awesome in the future. Right. And, and, uh, but I, I also, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> do you like the sun that's it uh move to scandinavia and and get into color realism there you go there you uh go. any yeah. any old stories that you have that have stuck out in your mind as like man this was an eye-opener this was a learning experience for me i know we've kind of alluded to several of them yeah i mean it's just just mostly you know the things that were really, you know, stuck with me were the things that uh, at that time, the old timers, you know, I was pumping them for, you know, I wanted mm-hmm. their knowledge, you know, and to me, they were gods, you know, cause they were in the business and doing what I wanted to do. And so successfully, those, those, yeah, those were the people that, uh, yeah, successfully because, yeah, you know, at one time, and say the the mid seventies or somewhat, there might have been five hundred tattoo shops in the United States. You know, now you got mm-hmm. five hundred through the state of Florida. Yes, it's not four. Yes, you, know? you had Every- the opportunity to go when you went to one of the early conventions. You got the opportunity to sit down and meet these people and talk to them. You know, it's mm-hmm. that's what was important. That's what stuck with me. You feel that would be information you would pass on or a feeling of importance that you would like to pass on to the newer generations, the youngers coming up. Like, well, I tell you get- what, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little bit of Philadelphia Eddie, you know, buy me a couple mm-hmm. of Roman coach, man. I'll tell you, I'll sit there and talk to you all day long. Yes, sir. So if we see Rick <laughs> at a show, is that what we're going for? Rum and Coke What's your favorite rum then? Uh, well, just a clear rum, Don Q, uh, clear. Okay. It's got less, got less sugar in it, so my doctor don't yell at me as much, you know. But yeah, that, that yes. was <laughs> not Don Q though. Don Pew? No, Don Q. How Puerto do you Rican spell that? Pop. I've never heard of this. It's Don with a capital Q. Oh, Q. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I've got that. Uh, I've got a slut ear infection in my ear. Sorry. No. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I can't hear. Um. Yeah. But no, nah, you know, I love I love to sit down and uh, you know these any any I was just talking to John Black uh, recently and uh, I had met a fellow in uh, oh gosh I think it might have been Tampa that uh, he had spent time with John Black and uh, he was very very nice kid he he was interested he came sit down we talked he was interested in you know listening to stories and this just a real real super super guy and i told john black you know you just don't find those kind of kids anymore you know you just don't find them uh and you said that i don't know as as a 
I mean, that is a good thing, obviously. Right? Do you think no, this is not, something? Not as a good thing. I fear only for my my opinion here. It, as that continues, the biggest fear is is that artists forget the importance of other artists. I guess if they can't gain or glean something from them or they don't have something to use or appropriate then they mean nothing to them and unfortunately for that same artist that means that when they are of the same time that that will be applied to them i mean karma is that bitch and you're gonna you're gonna get slapped by that fucker i'm sure you've (laughs) seen people yourself who were not interested in the stories of jack uh armstrong or doc webb and how their careers progressed or didn't i'm betting yeah but but you know there again and it's like uh just a new generation of kids i mean they're not kids like when you grew up they're not kids like when i grew up they have different ideas different standards different morals and and stuff like this and and actually to be honest the i see very few of them that even have a work ethic anymore you know i'm losing it I, I have people that come in want to want to you know come to work for me and I say okay that's mm. fine you know give me a give me five days a week eight hours a day and and we'll be good oh no you know I I only want to work by appointment a couple of days a week and this well then I got no use for you you know got no use for you yeah yeah so how do I fill up the how do I manage that uh, that schedule for a shop you know can't do it. So they go out and get their little 500 square foot private studio, work when they want to work. And I feel like the industry is going to change in, in a, in a dramatic fashion, at least outside of big cities to, to little spaces like the private studios, because the need of the shop has changed too. Uh, Whereas once, if you didn't have a shop, like, well, you wouldn't get, you know, it's so much harder to put somebody in your chair at your kitchen table. And if you did, you were dealing with somebody who is not smart. They they were making a bad consumer choice, right? That's exactly right. Um, But that was because the shop gave reputation. At one point, though, with Instagram and all these things, it, it kind of changes to where a kid can come out, make a big splash, uh, make a couple viral videos. And, and uh, now he's tattooing in a private studio it seems like the reputation of the shop is no longer needed for credibility not needed at all you know it's really not needed and i and i've been i'm very fortunate that the crew i've got up in my shop right now they've they've been with me for a good number of years you know and they like to walk in they they do appointments of course Mm -hmm. they do but then they they fill in in the appointments with the walk-ins and they gain new customers and, mm-hmm. and you know they, they stay fairly busy we uh, i've got seven guys up there now and you know this new shop i'm getting ready to move into I, i'm putting in a couple more stations oh right on you're getting bigger then yeah you haven't I, given up completely on tattooing then that's for sure oh no i'll, I'll never tattooing will be a part of my life as long as i'm breathing what you do know, you, uh, I, what's that look like? Do you see yourself in an old folks home sometime tattooing the nurses? Man, that's a good thought. You know, <laughs> awesome. can I set up right here, doctor? They got universal precautions. That's yeah. Right. You get, uh, gloves are free. 
I, t- I told my daughter, I said, now, the day you got to put me in the nursing home, I said, now, I'll need a private room because I'll be conducting business. I don't want to be associated with a roommate. So I'll <laughs> right. go in there, pick up a little table in the corner and tattoo and keep on rocking. Right on. I love it. Uh, man, I think is is it, now that we've talked about um, when we start talking about our retirement, perhaps I've stayed too long and said too much. So uh, I'd like to let you get off to your day and whatever you got planned. But I've also put you on the hot seat much. So why don't I return the favor and give you a chance to put me on the hot seat? Any questions you have for somebody uh, that's mid-range in this tattoo career? No, you know, I, I really don't. Uh, you know, of course, you know, I've, I've since I've, you know, gotten to know you and I've followed your work and, and, uh, this and that, and I was, you know, you do an awesome job. You're, you're an awesome guy and have no issues. And, but I don't, I don't really have anything outstanding that I want to try to get out of you or anything like that. And, You've already yeah. gotten all that. You're like, Kyle, I got Doc Webb stories. I, what do I need to? <laughs> you know, you know me, I, I come around, I come around to the shows and, and, uh, well, I was around to the shows that Troy's do. And, and, uh, mm. I, I, I see my friends, I see you and I see jazz and I see a uh, Jackie and, you know, a few other people that, that I've known for the years. And, uh, it's all good. You know, I like you, to keep you going to DC. I am not going to or, DC. Or Pittsburgh this year. Okay. Uh, no, uh-uh. no, you can't get you out of the sunshine state, huh? Uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, no, that's not it at all. But, I was uh, going to say, just tell me it's the traffic. You're like, I ain't fucking with that traffic. I lived there for too long. Shit. I still got a house up there, <laughs> but yeah, I just, uh, let's say conflict of interest. Okay. Right on. Um, well, I'm going to miss you then there. I look forward to seeing you again. So I'll probably see you. I, I, I talked to Troy and uh, I will probably try to do Raleigh again. I had a good time at that Raleigh show last year. And uh, yeah. I'll probably see you there. I sent in to get the paperwork for Orlando. It's going to be a first time show this year. And I have a habit of going to his first time shows. I don't know what it is. I did the first Tampa show. You know, yeah. I was in. I was in Philly when he first started doing shows in the hotel there. And, you know, so well, that was way back in the day. Oh, way back in the day. And, Do uh, I see a picture of you with uh, Eastman on your site there? Or was that somebody else I saw you taking a picture? I, of? I don't know. I don't know who's, I don't know. Eastman. Do you remember? Um, Is it Phil Eastman? I bet that's not right. That, no, that doesn't even sound right. Okay. Right on. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of an old timer that I sometimes see around. Philip Spearman did a portrait of him on somebody. Uh, hmm. And so I think that's where I get the name Phil. But I believe the last name was Eastman. And he was a really crotchety old timer that came around Philly of some sorts. And um, what, the thing that I always heard was somebody expressed amazement that somebody got a tattoo of this person even on them. Like somebody <laughs> loved that man that much, huh? Yeah, you know, I reckon so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was I was hoping it was this person you were also taking a picture with, so I could get some of these stories of no, that, uh, of another yeah. character in tattooing. That doesn't even ring a bell. I I don't uh, I don't uh, 
No, I can't think of any time okay. I've ever had a picture with him or something. Of your most um, charismatic of the tattoo artists you've met throughout your career, uh, of the legends there, who would you say that would be? Oh, wow. Uh, that That is hard to pin. But, you know, I, I've always got to keep falling back to Johnny. Uh, Walker. Because it was just, you know, it was my opportunity. And, in fact, I am still in touch with his grandson. I talk with his grandson from time to time. And Is he, uh, is he uh, involved in tattooing at all? What's not at doing? all. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> does he have any tattoos? I don't even think he does. It'd be funny if he's the guy at the bar that just eventually, well, you know, honestly, a funny story. Yeah is uh, my great grandfather or my, is it just his grandson? Not his great grandfather, but no, uh, his grandson. Yeah. He actually designed a lot of the tattoo machines that you kids might be getting all poked around on your bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, over the years, you know, I've had the opportunity to have a lot of good times with Eddie and, and all that, you know, he first opened up a studio and in, in my neck of the woods, uh, Oh God! Well, that make that that makes you guys enemies. Now you're fighting, no? Oh, uh, no, we weren't that close together. Okay, but, uh, that wasn't yeah, turf we wars close. Nah, we were good. You know, twenty some miles apart. But uh, <laughs> you know, when when I heard he was opening up the studio down there, you know, I went on down there and hung with him. And uh, you know, he didn't stay there long. He put a guy named Big Walt in the studio. It was right by an army base in Virginia, right by Fort Belvoir. And okay. uh, he stayed there a little while. They left this guy, Big Walt, uh, in charge. And that didn't last long. Walt had a substance issue. So mm. it'll, it'll be the bane of the industry. Yeah. But you know, I've had so many good times with, uh, you know, the fellows my age and this and that. And it's, you know, but, you know, my, my door in was Johnny Walker. And uh, so I've, you know. To me, well, that, he's, he's everything. Okay. He, was he a charismatic person? Or Not you really, just you see know, him as... Hmm? He was just, you know, he really wasn't a very big guy. And, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, he wasn't like a, a, a comedian or anything. Just a hardworking guy. and uh, Quiet? Kind of quiet. Kind of quiet on the exterior, but you know, there again, he got he was a little involved with some racing boats, and uh, I think he did some flying, but you know, never talked much about him. Right on, uh, Skyver. Yeah. Let's talk about Skyver because this oh, is different than Skyver is. <laughs> you had to open this door, right? Oh, uh, I think you mentioned him earlier, and I should have probably took the bait then, man. I love that guy, he is definitely not the quiet guy in the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's got a work ethic and an ingenuity. He does that. He also got a glimmer in his eye, some kind of weird spark <laughs> that, that leaves you teetering on. You don't know if he's thinking about, um, you know, how he would fillet you, or or if he's just thinking about, you know, puppies and in uh, and a warm campfire or something. Well, there's always the thought about uh, his first thought is. Is he going to make any money off of you? And <laughs> if he can't make money off of you, can you help him make money? And then try to tell him jokes, and he's going to tell you a hundred of them. Yeah, yeah. You better have remembered a few. 
Mike is his own person, man. You know, he, he is, uh, he is something, man. He's, uh, he's lively. Yeah. We, we seem to love him. The, uh, ticket wizard as it were of the tattooing world who yeah, he, feels himself to be somewhat of, um, a guardian of it too. Oh, he is. And, uh, in fact, we, we started to touch on that earlier because, you know, one thing that has eluded me all these years was, uh, owning a Paul Rogers machines. So <clears throat> he is going to dig, uh, some, some of his Paul Rogers machines that were actually caught in the fire. And he's going okay. to get me something together. We're doing a show together in April. And he's going to bring me one up there that's been pretty burned up and this and that. And I'm going to, you know, rehab it, fix it, get it back in operation and and this and that. So that's a really fun well, you project I'm looking for. Document forward. all of that. Because these, yeah. these guys, when they're hunting through their um, people's garages and they're looking for these treasure troves, they're going to say, oh, man, this was worth something. And then they took the patina of the Skyver fire off of it which has now become part of history and and it would be worth thousands more if I had that. But now if we can document Rick Cherry actually refurbishing it and that becomes the story too. Absolutely. Because uh, damn it, that's what these things are is a a chain link, a history, Uh, a way you can touch pieces of it. Absolutely. You know, they are definitely tattoo history and, and a lot of people, and I've told Mike this, you know, because we've talked about it, you know, the machines that I have and, and my original Sailor Jerry's and Percy Waters and, and, and uh, Zeiss machines and all this kind of stuff. It's my belief, and my wife goes along with me, that uh, when something happens to me, these machines don't mean anything to my wife and, and my daughter and stuff like that, you know. Hmm. Uh, so my stuff is being passed on and, and is meant to may be left in the tattoo world. They're, they're left to be in the tattoo world where people can look and, and look back and, oh, wow, man, this machine's from back in the 1930s and 40s and this and that and, you know, and all that. So, you know, I'm just not going to sell anything. It's, it's being passed down, and the person that get, is getting it, they know who they are, and uh, they're, they've promised me to keep it. Keep it to on be display. good custodians of that history. Exactly right. Keep it on display keep it history going and that's what's important it is i i believe there is something to that if if these if we don't know where we've been we'll never know where we're going that's we right can't plot a course just steaming straight ahead and uh you got to realize at one point that you're not you either that you're going to be subject to many of the same storylines of tattooing some of them are just tried and true and they keep repeating themselves over and over that's right that's uh, right. the the apprentice that stabs his his mentor in the back kind of a story <laughs> <laughs> right or the um the mentor that takes advantage of his apprentice kind of oh, a story. oh yeah all those stories yeah all those things and and the big thing back in the old days you know stepping back there again you know back in the old days and there were so few tattooers and this and that Every tattooer kind of had to be a carny, like they worked mm-hmm. in the circus. Every every tattooer had to have a backstory. Like take Carol Nightingale from Washington D.C. Uh, his mother tattooed in Canada in a circus, and she taught him to tattoo and blah blah blah. And I think it was written in his book that he put out one time. And all this ain't none of that true. 
Oh, no. You know, it's all no, no. Pontiac. <laughs> His mother didn't tattoo? No. <laughs> But he's still, and it was in his book too that he he released as his memoir that now becomes a stamp in history. Right, Charlie. That is going to go on with many people mistaking it. There will be people making determinations on this at one point and believing that yeah. to be the truth. Oh, that's not the truth. I mean, everybody had to have a story, backstory, and uh, so Charlie and Sandy Parsons mm -hmm. always stayed in touch when Carol Nightingale was in jail over in Maryland. What would he uh, be in jail fact, for? He was in jail for, uh, uh, I, I don't even know if I want to open that door. It, it wasn't nice. Okay. Okay. It wasn't so, good stuff. It wasn't good stuff. So when it comes time for him to get out of jail, they, they contacted me and they contacted Charlie and Sandy Parsons in Great Southern Tattoo. And they said it would sure help his release if he could have a job. And I told him, I said, I, I'm sorry, you know, I, I just, I can't, because of what he's done, I can't have that man working over here and mm -hmm. this and yeah. that. And Charlie and Sandy basically said the same thing, but they stayed in touch with him. You know, he went on, got out of jail, went to Canada. Mm -hmm. I think he was working as a maitre d' in a restaurant up there. And he just recently died. And, uh, but they stayed in touch, exchanged letters, and Sandy and Charlie, uh, they went up to visit him from time to time. So they mm -hmm. had the opportunity to meet uh, his aunt, his mother's sister. They asked her of the stories then? They they did, and they said, well, no such thing. <laughs> ah. <laughs> well, now does the aunt, maybe is she covering up the, the imagined past, and she's like, no, we don't want to talk about it. Because circus... To some families of that era, that could have come off poorly, right? Like, I don't want them yeah. to think that my... Do you think there's any of that could have been there? No, I don't think okay. so. I think, <laughs> I think it was all just a story, you know, a yeah. carny act, you know. You know, yes. hey, you know, let's go let's go see Carol Nightingale because, man, his mother used to work as a carny tattooing and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just a cool story. You ever, you Did he have also cool have story. bullshit stories built off of that then i was like let me tell you one time i snuck into the clown's fucking tents and i'll tell you what i saw <laughs> was not a bunch of clowning carol no? nightingale carol nightingale was a very very uh closed up guy he did not uh he did not uh, talk to you too much uh okay when he did my first tattoo in the 60s like i mm -hmm. said my little hot shit devil was seven dollars when he's <laughs> getting That's ready to color yeah, when he's mm -hmm. getting ready to color in the shorts, he's shaking up this bottle of green. I said, I said, look, I said, how about I give you five dollars if you put blue shorts on it? Uh -huh. He went berserk on me. Man, don't <laughs> tell me how to tattoo. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I do this shit. Don't tell me nothing. And of course, you were locked up in a jail cell with him and his big old goddamn male Doberman dog growling at you. You know, okay. so yeah, you just, yeah. you just shut up. <laughs> it's a small little booth that he's rented somewhere <laughs> and he's got a dog right there. Yeah. He had his little studio, very, very small. And he had a jail cell built in it. And no. that's you, when you got tattooed, you went in, he locked you in the jail cell with that big old Doberman dog. What? Yeah. <laughs> Why? What was his thought there? Is this 
This is so yeah. he actually gets paid, I'm guessing. But don't yeah, he, you usually take the yeah. money ahead of time. Yeah, he, he was a pay up front, but you know, it mm-hmm. was it was a it was a rough part of DC. Wow. Rough part of DC. <laughs> Health department would frown uh largely on the dog. Health department? <laughs> what no health departments back then? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? I, yeah. I I mean, man. So he, he wasn't, I would have figured that if you got the story of a Carney, you know, life, that you're going to be this outspoken kind of ring announcer kind of, you know, everybody knows when I'm in the room. He, he was not bottled up and, and ready to burst. Nah, not even a little bit. The man was very, very quiet, didn't really want to talk to you. And, you know, I was in there a few times with friends. He only, mm-hmm. t- oh, he tattooed me twice. But I was in there with different friends. I went over there with them. And, uh, yeah, he got he got so paranoid over there and all that he got. He put a porthole in the door. He would, you knock on the door, he'd look out and see who you were. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to let more than two people in at a time. And you had to give him money through the porthole or he wouldn't open up the door. <laughs> Uh, a, well, that was probably based off experience too, right? He'd been <laughs> ripped off. I'm, I'm sure, but he was he was very very paranoid. But I'll tell you what, the man at, at that time, in my opinion, the man was very uh, innovative. I mean, he he built his machines, the left hands of America, and had them patented, and mm-hmm. a spectacular artist. Made I mean, for left-handers. Yeah. And okay. well, he made left or right, but he called them the left hand of America. And okay. uh, but his he was an amazing artist, and very few people really knew that. Well, yeah. you obviously either because you were ready to test him on it when you wanted blue shorts. Come on, man. Oh, well, you know, I was trying to tell him his job, you know, he wasn't <laughs> part of that. shit. <laughs> Who else? Uh, there's I mean, in history, you, you, you didn't get tattooed by Johnny Walker. Absolutely, many times. You did? Absolutely. Many times. Awesome. Like Joe like what uh, yeah. Where, where where are you at when you're getting tattooed by him? What what are you getting? You letting well, him pick the stuff and, and do you do you suggest blue shorts on the eagle or no, I didn't, but uh <laughs> uh you know, I think the first one he did was my my left arm. I got a whole lower left arm of a big old panther with an eagle shooting down on its head and and uh i don't even know he did something with meat on it sounds like yeah you know and fast that man was fast man he did that i mean took up most of my forearm and i said he wasn't about 30 40 minutes on it and he was done did you guys used to so when i used to do line work i was super slow because i was looking at every little bit trying to make sure that it was perfect and then these fast kids with a completely different liner um zipping through this stuff is i bet the zipping through it stuff was the way that it was originally designed to where you just trusted your yeah. machine and you went that's 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 the way i did it. you know it's mm-hmm. i used to like to run uh, a short fast machine for lining and mm-hmm. i was zipping you know, I could put it down on that line and I knew exactly where, you know, the the end of my tube and I knew how far that needle stuck out. And I just zoom I'd right on down, stop right in the perfect spot. Most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, most yeah. of the time. And, <laughs> Might have uh, to fix up the edges a little bit. Yeah, no. But uh, <laughs> they jump yeah. too. They jump. 
Yeah, no, people jump. Yeah, it's always the person's fault. Yeah, I, I sometimes I would wait until they would jump, and then I would kind of move like I was down in the spot where I knew it. I already made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and then audibly, oh man, and like what? Yeah. Did I mess it up? And be like, right here. <laughs> yeah, right. Here. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. I'll fix it. Yeah, but it will always be your fault. <laughs> right on. <laughs> What'd you right do? On. Um, I, 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 don't, I, I'm, kind of. Like if you're gonna get tattooed by Johnny Walker, you you're excited to get something with meat on it like that. I feel like the Panther was that the go-to like for something cool oh, back Panthers, in the day. Panthers were always cool, you know. Eagles, Panther, Panther, the Eagles, lions' heads, and you know the basic big traditional tattoos and. Mm -hmm. What about uh, today's tattoo standards? The, the the can we go over some fads? Well, of course, everybody's heard about the infinity knot, but what about the lion with the crown? Are you seeing enough of that now? Well, seeing as I don't do day by day anymore, I'm not seeing any of it. But I see a <laughs> okay. lot of pictures of it. <laughs> right, right. I feel like I see so many lions with crowns right now, and of course the That's the pocket watches. And pocket watches. Oh my god. You know, Have on, you seen man. it enough? enough. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they go they go through that and and God one time and and even hell I would almost kill to do one now but you got tired of doing so many goddamn Tasmanian devils and this and yes. that but you know man you could knock them things out quick fast easy money and faster than a pocket watch. You know, you put a pitchfork, a fire hose in their hand, or a cowboy hat on them and go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you are you're tasmanian devil where where do you work the farm pitchfork <laughs> what do you like to you're a firefighter all right you get a hose yeah yeah you're <laughs> but right. that that was the same as the little hot shit devil oh yeah of one time then and and now it's the lion with the crown lions with the crown and the pocket watches and uh, the pocket watch is um i'm i i'm tired of it that i can't i've lost so much inspiration for even searching for new pocket watch designs i i literally use a stamp tool on um one of my apps and i can just put it down there and then what what time do you want the the, the handset for because i i know right. we have a time this is the whole reason you're getting a pocket watch you don't love pocket watches <laughs> you didn't you didn't have your your great grandfather save one in his asshole during World War II so that he could bring <laughs> it back as an heirloom for a family member. You know, they have no right. they're not sacred. It's just about the time. You might as well That's put a digital time on there. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. I guess well, I, I don't lack um inspiration for uh well, I guess I do actually <laughs> for all of it, but for pocket watches, I lack some large amount of inspiration for, for making it unique anymore or making it different. Have you seen anything else uh, throughout the history? What would you say is been the pocket watch? We, we've got the Tasman devil, the, oh, the, God. You went through the hot the shit devil. Have we already hit them all. Okay. Everybody had to have a tribal armband. I said, does this really mean anything to you? Oh, mm -hmm. these are so cool. Oh, really? You know? Is it going to go all the way around? Yeah. That was the measuring, that, that whether you're tough or not, right? 
Jeff, you could go all the way around. You were you were a tough guy, and and it's like okay, so you take your your marker and you just draw something around there. What do you think? Oh, that is so neat. And then <laughs> you know now you're covering them up and doing this, and doing that. Kind well, it's of right in the way of a slim of a sleeve, right in the middle. Yeah, and kanjis. All of a sudden, everybody had to have a kanji. I said, and I had a big sign in the lobby. Uh-huh. I don't know what these mean. I don't read this shit. It's up to you. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, God. Congies. You might want to research it. You know? God damn. I want, yeah. I want my I, name in kanji. Yeah, yeah. you And, yeah, heard that a lot. And I said, well, you better go find somebody who can write that shit because I can't. Well, we then there was um at one point there was a translation sheet that we had that we had no idea if it was true or not, and it was it you could build people's names out of these symbols. So it said that this was like Ka, and this was Ra, and this was Ro, and you know you could mm-hmm. you could basically make up names with sounds, and so then you would put them in. But what we didn't realize we were doing was we were making phrases also. Of what that, and then you would go to eat somewhere, and somebody would be like, "Why is this person addicted to vomit?" You, you clearly, <laughs> you clearly are advertising that you're addicted to vomit. Um, we, we were walking. Uh, me and a couple of friends of mine. We were walking through Chinatown up in New York, hmm. and we go into this little deli to to fix us something to eat. And I and I asked a the woman there. I, I said, "Can do you know how to to write?" Chinese, Japanese, whatever it is, and write my name. She said, sure. So she wrote these symbols down on a paper. She said, we get back down down in Northern Virginia and this and that. Next couple of weeks or something, you know, one of my guys, he puts that on me and I start going around, you know. Well, you hey, tattooed it on you. I tattooed it on me. You started I, the trend. You can't bitch. No, I didn't start it. <laughs> I'd, I'd go into a Japanese, Chinese carryout or something. I said, can you read that? He said, man, that don't mean shit. That don't mean nothing. <laughs> but <laughs> Did they say it, it was now. even sounding like your name, though? Or yeah, No, nah, it don't mean nothing. Okay. Well, I leave it now because it's a cool story. You know? Yes. Yes. And a, it's a um, cautionary tale story. Uh, yeah. uh, a think before you ink kind of a story as well. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, yeah like, you're in New York, half drunk, this and that. Who cares? A lot of these people get tattoos on them they can't understand anyways. Uh, That's what trash polka is, I think, right? You're not supposed yeah, to get it. If you understand that trash polka, then you're you're wrong. <laughs> and it's not right. Right on. Are they still doing that stuff? They call it some they call it trash polka. And my rudimentary understanding of trash polka is, is it's kind of like punk rock. I like the makers of punk rock when they were like, yeah, this is punk. And they did it for like two years. Right. And then they're like, punk's dead. You know, like you guys now have what you guys call punk, but because you have it, that actually makes it not punk. And it also killed what was punk. And now there's no longer punk. So I hope you like it, you know, call it what you will, but we know the truth and trash polka. I feel is similar in that the idea of it originally was two people who designed the tattoo and you didn't get any real input. It was going to be a commentary generally on a political theme of war. And it was going to have elements of three things, uh, high, a, a well-detailed 
black and gray piece, a rubber stamp, simple effect or silhouette piece, and then some shock of color along with uh, some statement written, usually like a typewriter style, of of a anti-war sentiment. Mm. That was like its necessity as its basis. And then somehow it got my, my I'm, I'm going to blame the show that I was part, participated with as being part of it. But somehow the interpretation of Trask Polka then was black and gray with red. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's all I got out of it. Black and gray with red. Okay. Right on. That's what we see is the, <laughs> the, uh, the determining factor was well, got a, got red in it, but now they're doing the color infused black and gray to throw everything off a whole new category for you. Color infused. There you go. Would that, now now you're like that means trash polka can go in two categories i guess is actually what that means well so yeah so now, now that you've opened that door now mm -hmm. I, did, I did say i tried to catch up a little bit and went and watched some older episodes of the ink master thing with you on there didn't i see uh, you get into a lot of conflicts with people i had some problems you know, um, was, was that all for TV or was that real problems? Because I'll I tell get you, a lot Rick, of stories. Um, did great question. I get I answer it a lot and I get no tie, I don't tire of it yet either. So don't feel bad, I guess. Um, I tire for other people having to hear it, my poor wife. Uh, but no, there was a lot of thought in that and also the absence of thought it was reaction and also it was knowing that i would allow myself to react i guess because at one point there's a realization that the competition is lacking a certain amount of integrity and fairness and that you are not subject to the good end of that honestly if i was on the good end of the lack of integrity and fairness i'm sure i would have reacted somehow completely different you know <laughs> But um, they recognize who they got to, and, and you're, you you test on your casting, and and the only time you get cast. I went out for three castings. First two times, I'm meek, mild, Kyle Dunbar, just want to tattoo you. On the third time, I was fed up with your shit, tattoo artist, <laughs> who just needs to get back to work. There okay? Guess which one they liked. No, so sure. you're kind of cast. And now you have these influences trying to pull this out of you. Well, Kyle's really just mild-mannered tattoo artist who wants to see where he's at. But you didn't get here being that guy, so let's try and get it. And there's an interest, you know, because I was on the first season I was on, I was pretty self-effacing, and and, uh, and I felt like I was going to go home every single time, and I ended up making it really far. And America votes me back to try to come back. And now everything changes for me. Instead of going out to try to see where I'm at and get some exposure, now that, that I have to kind of win, I have to, and, and people are counting on me. Before, it was just whatever. And now my family members think I can, even if I don't. You know, I got a kid that's worrying about me. Um, I'm missing all these people in my life. The money would greatly benefit them. You know, I was going through a foreclosure at the time. So all of a sudden, there's so many things that are riding on the right. competition. They get bigger. And then when you start to see the same mechanisms that you saw last season that you questioned. And you're like, there's some funny stuff going on that's here to create drama. And it gives me the idea of the fairness of the tattoos of, of the judgments are in question and then you see it 
and then you see it leveled against you and then all doubt is removed <laughs> on one you know on on one time when you i did my, what i feel was my best tattoo on the show the whole time i was on there and they tell me it was actually in their opinion or one of the judges told me it was in his opinion one of the worst tattoos he'd ever seen me do and at that point with everything i was going through it became fighting words and it was just a matter of how i was going to get close to the guy to try and bring up the emotion that would end in an altercation of some sort you know mm -hmm. and my normal imp influences that i would talk with like my wife and she would talk me down off the ledge I called her up and she was tired of driving around Flint, Michigan in the winter with uh, with no heat in her car. Oh, I knew that it just needed to up the antifreeze, but I didn't know how to tell her to even get that process going over the phone. Anyways, that wasn't really it. I was put it on it like it was my wife, but she did tell me I could punch him. That's what she said. There you go. She said, if you punch him, you come home. I'm down with that. And we had friends that had been on the show and the greatest things they were remembered for were their biggest follies. Um, and so there was some kind of recognition that if this doesn't pay off, if, if you guys want to call me crazy until you're going to get crazy, just be prepared for what you want. Because you know, some of the, some of that is, is so obvious to somebody like me. Now, mm -hmm. I'm, like I said, I, I just never really got into following every episode, everything, this and that. Mm -hmm. And, I could look at tattoos that they were showing me and, you know, not that it mattered who done them and say, why are they picking that shit apart? You know, why, why are they coming down on this person? You know, mm -hmm. to me, that's a hell of a nice tattoo, you know? And it's just like, ah, you know, and I'd heard from a couple of people who had been on there, you know, that I do and, and, you know, they were giving me a lot of the same things that you were just telling me. So that just kind of made me not too interested in watching it anyway. But you, you talked know, with but, Jazz. I, I imagine you oh, talked with him with, some about it. Yeah, I talked to Jazz. Jazz is my nephew. <laughs> he calls me his Uncle Rick. Okay. You know, I remember when he started and this and that. And every time I see him, I try to bring him a T-shirt. And we go, we go way back. That's awesome. But, yeah, some some of the some of the other people that I've known, and you know, reality shows one thing. You know, trying to tear up somebody's work that to me looks awesome from what I can see. You yeah. know, it's like wow. And then talking with Richard after he had been a judge there, and I don't know. Did, but it is did, what it is. In talking to him, did he talk of uh, them? They're trying to be controls on his opinions. Well. A lot of things being arranged uh a lot of mm -hmm. things like uh you know maybe this maybe it's time for this person to go or you know this person ain't working out so well and you know this and that and you know nothing based really not on performance necessarily but based on tv ratings <laughs> mm -hmm. TV right ratings. this quiet person is not helping out yeah but there, there has been, you know, and I guess there still is. I haven't watched, uh, I haven't watched the show for uh, at all for a couple of years, but there are some really, really good artists on there, you know. Oh man, and now they're getting some great artists, but people are going on with an understanding of creating drama. You so see, it, it something changes not, about it if you follow. Uh, not good for the tattoo world, I don't believe. 
No. How how do you how do you feel? Uh, let me take some criticism on it because I'm part of it. <laughs> you know, it's just I, I think the the our customers. You know, of course, you always get this thing. Well, hell, I just saw them do this on in an hour on Ink Master. How come you can't do it? You know, yes. <laughs> this yes. and that. Yeah, I mean, no, I've got a girl currently mad at me from Minneapolis because of my lack of being able to produce to up to her expectations of That's time right. constraints. But and then I think a lot of them they come in the shop expecting the shop to be that kind of drama, and. Mm. Uh, it's just it just it doesn't happen at my shop yeah it wouldn't happen at your shop it would be shut down i'm guessing do they get disappointed because there's a lack of that well i don't know if they're really disappointed or they're more relieved because if they come in especially you know the virgins they come in and they're thinking that well i guess every shop's like ink master and they come in expecting (laughs) the worst yeah you know and then some neck tattoo dude's gonna try and fight with me as soon as i get in there you know and i have people that actually speak to them and talk to them and receptionists that want to you know get them something you know get them a soda get them some glass of water be nice to them and they're like wow this is what a tattoo shop's like can be (laughs) do you you tattoo a lot of virgins like yeah we have a we have a fair amount, you know, and 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 I I it tickles okay. me so much when before I've come down to Florida, you know, and I'm still hanging at the shop, and you know I've got I've I'm still in touch with customers now that I tattooed. I just posted recently within the last four or five months or so. I ran into a guy at the restaurant. I tattooed him back in like 1971, and. I, re- I recognized him. He recognized me. I went and took pictures of his tattoos. In fact, it's funny. Mm-hmm. One of them was Tasmanian Devil. And I posted <laughs> them up. And I posted them on the Facebook thing. I said, here you go. Since 1971, you can still see what they are. You know, nice. that's a real tattoo. How much was that like a come come around full circle? Uh, a kind of Pretty like um, living proof kind of moment? It, it really was, but, but it, it does, it does me good. I, I loved, I loved it when, you know, I'd have my customer, my older customers bring their kids in and, and mm-hmm. get them. I wanted them to come to Rick's, get their first tattoos, blah, blah, blah. And all this, that just makes me feel good. You know, feel like everything I, I, I yeah. did was worth it, you know? Well, I think everything you do certainly is. I hope you keep at it. I'd look forward to, um, having you back on if you ever got any stories you want to impart with us again or you let me try to pull out of you again and i I want anybody that does get a chance to listen to of course follow and and all what kind of handles um do you have if you're familiar with the kids using the handles uh where do we find the facebook and the instagram of rick cherry uh well facebook i'm just rick cherry or there's one for rick's tattoos uh, that they can, you know, get get a hold of me f- through that. Instagram, I, you know, I don't. Am I even on there? I don't know. People at the <laughs> shop, you know, us old people in this internet, shit, you know. I think it I thought be- you did really good. I was worried I was going to have to explain Zoom slightly. Well, you know, I was I, like, I want you already had it. I just had to recently do this negotiating my leases on my new spot, so we had to have <laughs> Zoom meetings. So, okay. Yeah. But this is only the second one I've ever done. 
<laughs> well, I hope this one's more enjoyable than that. Oh, you got that right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, either through your tattoo shop, and I think Instagram might be Rick Cherry, Facebook's Rick Cherry, or, or Rick's Tattoos, and, you know, it, it's all good. Yeah, get a hold of me. I'll talk to you, do anything I can, you know. And, uh, and, and please preserve and help us preserve, too, because, one, what we can do as as young kids uh if you are a young kid i'm not trying to be that guy but what you can do is buy a drink even if it's just water uh spend some time and listen to some stories and pass those stories on now and you get to be that guy getting the drink spot for you if you get enough of these stories recognize that too how awesome is that to just go to the tattoo convention and be able to get free drinks all weekend because you're like i'll tell you a story let me tell you the time about Lyle Tuttle told me about because um no that's our history that's as a tattoo artist that is our history is the way it's shared and probably also gets further away from the truth but closer to awesomeness that's right that's right as the as uh, my friends are too cool to not have me embellish a story on on our behalf <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, remember, down deep we're all carnies. We all got a story. Is that what is is that the definition of a carny then? Is everybody's got a story? I guess. I like yeah. it. It's gotta be in fact I was I'm doing some some of uh conventions recently with the the Rev and uh his wife Jill out of Jacksonville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. We were boothed up together and uh that's what he said. I get out there running my mouth and say, hey, you know, come on, this guy's starving to death. Get in here and get tattoos. I was just barking it up, man. That's what he's, man, you out here barking for me like a carny, man. Barking like a carny. <laughs> so now that's something lost uh, again, though, in, in the history of his, uh, not just tattooing, but in America. Are there even carnies? I guess there are, but most of them seem like they're on the run from something, you know, like you only work taking part of a machine and then building up in another city. If one, you're working for a, a wicked clown traveling uh, circus that steals souls as per a horror movie, or if you're really running from something like, ah, that was my past life before I ran the tilt-a-whirl. That's right. That was, that was part of the old stories. All the carnies, man, they were all running from something. That's why they had to travel around with the circus. Yeah, not the job that everybody picks. But obviously we did then. Everybody's a carny somewhere. That's search for. That's a fact. Brother, thanks for being a part of this, man. Hey, it's been fun, Kyle. And uh, look forward to seeing you at the next show. And uh, tell your wife I said hello. Will do. She's listening. She sends her blessings and love as well. Right on. Right on. All All right. Been fun, my man. Take care. We'll see you again. Right. Bye now.